Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett here with you. Glad you're making us a part of your day. Plenty to get to here on the show. Jeb Blazevich, former Georgia tight end, will join us here on the show. I will talk Georgia Clemson now just a couple of days away. Chrissy Freud, uh, Cowbell Corner on SI.com, will join us. We'll talk about Mississippi State. We'll also talk some SEC storylines out there as well. And Matt Connolly going to join us from ClemsonSports.com in hour number two. We'll talk Clemson, Georgia uh, with him. And Danny Reed in the final hour, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, will join us as uh, Georgia Southern opens up against Gardner-Webb this weekend. Who's going to be the starting quarterback? And more to discuss with Danny Reed coming up in that final hour. But, uh, BJ, a lot of headlines uh, in and around college and pro football. Let's start in the uh, the college ranks. Jimbo Fisher, four years into that huge deal, gets an extension now making more than $9 million a year. And a lot of folks saying, obviously, that's not because he's beaten Alabama and gotten to an SEC championship game. But could this be a preemptive move to try to keep uh, Jimbo uh, from wandering to, say, the NFL or potentially another SEC job, which people think may become open if a season goes goes poorly in the SEC West, namely LSU. Yeah, p- potentially. And, and, you know, Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M had a great season last year. So uh, you, you, you understand the, the desire to want to obviously extend Coach Fisher and, you know, potentially give him more money and – uh, when you were the first team out of the college football playoff, I know that's not where A&M wants to be, but you can see that progress. You can see that you had one loss. You can see that outside of Alabama, you played with and beat everybody and, you know, look really good in the Orange Bowl as well. So I think Texas A&M, the potential is there uh, to be a playoff team. You were knocking on the door a year ago, but I do think this is a big season because, Kevin, we've talked about it. Uh, there's a lot of hype around Texas A&M. A lot of people are really high on the Aggies. Many people feel like they're the top contender to Alabama out west. They certainly were a year ago. And you finished in the top five. I know you didn't make the college football playoff, but you finished in the top five. And that's, I mean, that's an accomplishment. So I think the program is moving in the right direction. I think there's reason for clear optimism on a, on a national level moving forward. Uh, you like a lot of your young talent. You like the way you've recruited you like the success you've had against everybody else aside from Alabama, but uh, the the hype is already building for Texas A&M Alabama. I mean, the expectation is that this may be the year, right? We, 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 we heard that at SEC Media Days. Could this be the year to beat Alabama? And I think when that was said, it was said with people thinking about Texas A&M. So, yes, I think, you know, it wouldn't stun me if the NFL was interested in Jimbo Fisher, given his past of developing quarterbacks, you know, potentially – you know, rumors of could he theoretically be a candidate for other jobs? Uh, but but I think you had a great year last year. You feel like you're on on the rise nationally. You feel like you're right there to compete for a college football playoff bid. But this is a big season for Texas A&M, and expectations are high. Yeah, again, I, I was kind of amazed, not because he you would say you don't want to give him more money, but that, again, you're so early into that huge 10-year deal that, why they need to go ahead and jump out there and and do that. But they went ahead and, and did it. Obviously, he's going to be around, they hope, Texas A&M for quite some time. If not, somebody's going to have to pony up more than $9 million a year probably to uh, to make him leave. Uh, so that's some uh, some news and notes there from the, the college ranks. NFL cuts made yesterday. Good news uh, for Raymond Johnson, former Georgia Southern uh, Eagle BJ. We talked about that. He makes the 53-man roster with the Giants, Richard LeCount. Uh, of course, drafted by the Browns, made the Browns roster. And of news to note, Jake, Jake Fromm cut 
by uh, by Buffalo, uh, so no longer with the Bills uh, out of uh, Georgia. And people thought, hey, he left early. What would have uh, what would have been having Jake Fromm last year during the pandemic? Obviously, you probably won't see wouldn't have seen JT Daniels at all. And BJ, given the extra year of eligibility, obviously nobody could have foreseen this coming. But given the extra year of eligibility, you could theor- theoretically be looking at a 2021 year with Jake Fromm at the helm of the University of Georgia Bulldogs, not JT Daniels. So just kind of interesting how it all plays out. I mean, at the time, I don't think anybody was faulting Jake Fromm for going to the National Football League. He was on one of the best teams in the country playing pretty solid football. It made sense to go. And uh, now, just as Ben said, it's the business of the NFL. It comes at you fast, and uh, he is off the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, a bit surprised at that news, but really happy for Richard LeCount and Raymond Johnson. Richard LeCount had an incredible career at Georgia, uh, and you're talking about a guy that can be a safety, that can play near the line of scrimmage or excel in coverage. You know, not surprised at all that he's gotten uh, really good reviews here in in preseason camp and made the team there in Cleveland. And then Raymond Johnson, I was surprised that he didn't get drafted. You know, we talked about that right after the draft. A guy that was one of the best edge rushers in college football, uh, was a superstar for Georgia Southern, and not surprised at this news. He, uh, early in his career, was probably better as a pass rusher, and later in his career became equally effective at stopping the run. And you think about the need for an every-down defensive end in the National Football League. I think Raymond Johnson is is, is just that. So high expectations for Richard and Raymond. I think both those guys are going to be uh, very successful and excited to see what they can do at the next level. Uh, Certainly. Some other uh, news and notes. Uh, Green Bay and New Orleans were set to open week one in New Orleans. Obviously, uh, BJ, we talked about a little bit yesterday. Hurricane Ida goes through there. Uh, Just devastation in the New Orleans area, so much so that Tulane playing a home game at Oklahoma uh, against Oklahoma this week in college football. And I believe I read some reports where even after that game, they're going to kind of home base it in Birmingham, uh, Alabama, to kind of base themselves uh, there until such time as they can get back on campus and it's deemed safe in, in which to do so. But obviously the Saints set to host Green Bay, can't play there. It was announced by the NFL they're going to play in Jacksonville next week, week one of the National Football League season at the home of the Jaguars. Yeah, and thoughts and prayers to everybody in Louisiana, uh, in the area. Just, you know, tragic, terrible uh, devastation from the storm. And, you know, you're going to see changes in, like you said, not only where games are played, Kevin, but maybe where logistically, you know, people are located, The you know, what the team does scheduling-wise. So uh, just, just heartbroken over what we've seen there and uh, wishing everybody the best. But I think you're going to see some logistical changes and schedule changes, certainly, uh, moving forward, unfortunately. Absolutely. And the, probably the biggest news and note item of all, B.J. Bennett, there's college football today. As we start off the uh, the, the, the five-day, six-day run, five-day run of college football. Tonight, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, our six-day run, and Monday uh, going on of college football, and it all gets started tonight. Yeah, Christian got on you earlier, man. He did. Look, Jacksonville State and UAB, that was on you. That was on you, but you have a big week and really excited about what's going to be uh, a, a five, six-day span of great games. And I think Friday night, you talked about this, Kevin, a game that's kind of been overlooked a little bit. You have a big ACC game right off the bat on Friday. I know the, the Big Ten has some conference games to open the season, but Friday night, you have North Carolina and Virginia Tech in, in Lane Stadium. And you understand that the focus is on Georgia and Clemson. You understand that the focus is on 
um, Alabama and Miami, even Louisiana, Texas, a number of different games, Florida State, uh, Notre Dame on Sunday, you know, the Monday night game in Atlanta. But North Carolina is in the preseason top 10. Sam Howell is one of the Heisman Trophy front runners, and right away they're going to play Virginia Tech on a Friday night national primetime showcase in Lane Stadium, one of the toughest places to play in all of college football. So could there be an upset there? Potentially. Wouldn't surprise me. Braxton Burmeister at Virginia Tech, former Oregon quarterback, is going to be the guy there. But I think you talk about the games that are going to be played outside of Saturday. I think that is a fantastic game. And, Kevin, as you talk about all the time, in the ACC Coastal, you just never know. It's it, true. but And this is why that one is so so strange for a number of reasons, BJ, is that it's an ACC conference game. It's an ACC divisional game in week one that – North Carolina and Mac Brown have put a lot of capital into, hey, we're going to start the uptick. We're trying to contend here. You lose that. Not only is the playoff picture pretty dark, but you have an in-division loss in the Coastal, which puts you kind of doubly behind uh, in the Coastal division there. On the other hand, North Carolina wins. That's still in the picture. I think you start to see some pressure put there on Justin Fuente in Virginia Tech, who obviously took over for Frank Beamer. A lot of people said, well, how can you recruit to Western Virginia uh, without Frank Beamer there, who had so much legacy and all that? I mean, this is, to me, Justin Fuente. You lose a big game early at home. That kind of turns the knob up another notch uh, on can you get Virginia Tech back to where they're supposed to be? And I think that's a big-time opportunity for both those programs. Like you said, if you're Virginia Tech, a win would mean you're back in the national spotlight. If you're North Carolina, maybe a win. I mean, that 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 – look ahead to North Carolina and Miami only becomes more more hyped in terms of could a team out of the Coastal not only give Clemson a game, but be in a position to win that game and make the college football playoff. So the step towards that starts Friday night for North Carolina, and then you carry through the weekend. I mean, Florida State-Notre Dame is a really interesting game on, on Sunday evening because that, that game sounds like it's a classic and has national implications, but it really only does for Notre Dame right now. And where is Florida State? Is Florida State more competitive this year, won just three games a year ago in Mike Norvell's debut? Uh, how much of Mackenzie Milton are we going to see? And is, is that a game where for Florida State you can play Notre Dame within 10 points, within a touchdown, maybe be competitive into the fourth quarter and you can draw positives for that? Or is that a game – listen, you're at Florida State. Is that a game Florida State has to win? And kind of what are the expectations in Tallahassee? So that's a big ACC game or a half ACC game, if you want to call it that, with Notre Dame as well on Could Sunday night. Could it be night. an ACC game of the future? Probably. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say probably. Who knows with what Notre Dame's going to decide to do. We've got just so much to cover here on the show on this Wednesday. We'll hear from Chrissy Freud this hour. Also, Jeb Blazevich set to join us when we come back here on 3 and Out. You can find us, obviously, across the radio network, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. We're also live on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube page. Catch the show every day if you miss it at ESPN Coastal on YouTube, and uh, you can catch all the show. You can catch shows live while we're on, or uh, get the archive versions there on our YouTube page. Also watch our uh, Friday night games of the week uh, there on our YouTube page as well. So go there and uh, hit the, uh, the the subscription uh, button there, and uh, you get a notification every time we go live on ESPN Coastal on YouTube. So check that out as well. 912-342-7184, your number to call us. So give us your thoughts at Pigskin Radio. You can uh, share your thoughts there via Twitter. And when we come back, Jeb Blazevich talking Georgia and Clemson here on 3 and Out.
Radio Network, Georgia and Clemson. Coming up this weekend, a lot of folks getting ready and excited for that one. Our next guest, former tight end there for the University of Georgia, knows what it's like to play in uh, big games. Jeb Blazevitz joining us here on 3 and Out. Jeb, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Excited to talk some football. Hey, absolutely. Appreciate you coming on. And this one, right out of the gate for Georgia. It's Clemson. It's uh, it's a rivalry game. I know the fans, even if this wasn't a top-five matchup, this would be one of the best games uh, you see on the weekend. But this is potential playoff seeding, potential playoff posturing right here from the opening kickoff. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great game. I mean, this is the one that Georgia fans have been talking about since forever. And, and my brother went to Clemson. They're equally as fired up. Um, well, I mean, it, we live too close to one another, Georgia and Clemson, not to get excited about this. There's so many crosstown rivalries. Uh, this is probably going to be one of the most exciting regular season games of the year. They went to Clemson. So uh, what is this week, the next three days, like in the Blazevich household? You just not talk to each other, stay away from me? Like, what is that like? And then what happens to the guy that loses? Is it a 24-hour cooling off period? How does that work? So we're, we're actually in Greenville. He's nice enough to host us Saturday night. We'll see if we can sleep there. Um, but it, it's just a lot of staying quiet. You know, we're trying to be good to talk about it because it quickly gets hostile in the Blazevich household. Uh, the, the, the claws come out from both of us. So we're just we're being friendly, and uh, we're going to make it through, and we're going to pick each other up, uh, you know, regardless who wins. But uh, the dogs are going to come out on top on this one. Jeb, what's the preparation been like, you think? Uh, obviously fall camp, but knowing that you have a top five opponent coming up in week one, do you think fall camp was a little bit different for the dogs? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Coach Smart is always stressing a sense of urgency, right? The, the guys know how important camp is, that the level of competition at Georgia is going to bring out, um, you know, the best of, of each player every single day. At least that's what's being preached. Um, but you throw Clemson in the mix week one, and uh, you can't help but practice what you preach. You, you can't help but know that every single rep matters, every single practice matters, and coming together as a team, um, it's just going to happen a lot more naturally uh, when you're thrown into the mix of adversity week one. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of teams this coming weekend, they're not really thrown into a bunch of adversity. Now there's going to be some sleepers, but this is one that you can't afford to be firing on second and third gear you need to be coming out of the gate swinging jeb obviously jt daniels came in uh last year played in four games he's had the full off season now how comfortable do you think he is with his receivers at this point uh through spring now through fall camp getting ready for the opener well from my understanding he's just been an amazing leader in the locker room uh, i think it's definitely somebody that they can rally around um I mean, you see what he's doing with his NIL deals. Um, I, I, I think it's just who he is. He's a natural leader. He's been in that position um, on the field and, you know, doing the actual work. He's been building the chemistry. Um, so I, I think that's really one of the reasons that George is going to win, just his experience um, and him stepping up as a leader. Um, I, I think that's going to bring him over the edge. What are your expectations for Georgia offensively, where there are playmakers everywhere, running back, uh, some veterans back along the offensive line? What type of offense do you think we'll see out of the dogs? Extremely diverse. I think they're going to really have to play the, the ground and pound game mixed with RPA really well. Um, I'm run away with 
be able to ground and pound more than anything, I believe. Uh, but the timing of the plays and really how you set things up is going to be crucial for them in my uh, You can't just stick with your run. You stick with a couple shots downfield. I think it's really going to become a, a plays to work their way down the field and set themselves up for those explosive plays. And again, I know BJ and I have talked about this, Jeff. It seems like Georgia is has been best when they stick to a uh, that consistent ground game, and they've had uh, certainly the guys back there to do it consistently, carrying the football. How much, in your estimation, I know as a, as a receiver, you want a guy, you want the ball thrown out there a bunch. How how important is that though to set everything up uh, in the passing game that those guys come out and have a big day? Yeah, you you hit the the foundation. If you can't run the ball, it's going to work go in there and, and get the ball on the ground and move the ball and, and honestly just bigger and more physical than Clemson, um, that is the only thing that's going to open up the passing game. It, it doesn't work the opposite. You need to win the line of scrimmage before you can win any battle. How do you, how do you approach preparation on game day if you're Kirby Smart? Because it's such a big game. How do you keep the team focused embrace the moment, embrace the spotlight, but also make sure you're not putting too much of an emphasis uh, on a game that everybody's been talking about all year. Yeah, I I definitely think it's the latter. Um, I think the guys are going to be really jacked up. Um, Freshmen that we're going to expect to see um, out there, I think you need to get them calmed down and quiet and really just say, hey, we've been doing the scrimmages, we've been doing the practices. I mean, you've been practicing against the same level of talent all year round, so it's, it's less about hey, we need to get up and get excited. And I think it's more about we need to calm down and do what we do best. Because at the end of the day, you come out emotional, that flies away after the first hit. And then it's just staying in a rhythm of preparation. Jeb Blazevich, former Georgia tight end, joining us here on 3 and Out. And Jeb, you got Georgia, you got Clemson playing in North Carolina. I believe you're from the, the Charlotte area. Does that seem weird? Or it's like, how do you think that environment's going to uh, to play out where you got Georgia and uh, a school from South Carolina playing in North Carolina? Yeah, I think it's an interesting view. Uh, playing at NFL stadiums is always a lot more fun. Uh, the was a lot nicer, too. Um, I think it'll be a good wrinkle in there. I think it's a lot to throw at folks. But um, at the end of the day, it's you're playing a team you rarely play in a place uh, add to the distraction but if there's one thing I know from both those coaches is they're going to make this as similar to a road game as they can make it um, and so I'm, I'm excited to see in Charlotte in my backyard could, couldn't make it up there for the game uh, but see the venue what are the keys to victory for Georgia in your mind? I know we've talked about JT Daniels, the running backs, but you're playing a team that has been one of the modern-day dynasties right alongside Alabama. What must Georgia do Saturday night to beat Clemson? I think first and foremost, it's got to start from the top down. Um, I, 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 they're going to have to switch up the strategy, and you can't just be against Clemson. I think you need to half and then throw in a big wrinkle at halftime because extremely good at figuring out your tendencies in the first half. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I know we preach about this all the time as SEC fans, um, it's going to come down to being bigger, badder dudes. Uh, I think that they're as physical as us. I think that halfway into the season, um, it would be a lot easier to catch them off guard in terms of the physicality. But uh, they've been preparing for this just like the bowl game, just like we've seen them show up and, and – compete at the highest level and win the biggest games. I think they're going to be ready for the physicality. 
to come down to are they ready all four quarters so be able to throw the wrinkles and just be bigger and badder dude how you win this game Jeb Blazevich, our guest here on a three and out Jeb really appreciate the time enjoy the game Saturday thanks so much appreciate it Jeb Blazevich joining us here on a three and out a former Georgia tight end BJ and uh, again a guy who said I think he summed it up there uh, nicely at the end it's like who wants to be the bigger badder dudes out there on the field and that's kind of the moxie the SEC carries with itself, but I think you see it in certain programs like Clemson. We, we talked earlier in the week uh, with, with Rennie Moore about that, we, who says, hey, we think we're the bigger, badder dudes uh, in, this, in this matchup. So I think a lot of that, that confidence, that, uh, that swagger that some of these programs carry is going to play a big factor. Well, so much of this game was going to come down to physicality, right? I mean, you think about the matchup that everybody's been talking about, Georgia's offensive line against Clemson's defensive line. That's where it's all going to start. And and Clemson's defensive line, you got a couple of All-Americans. You have the track record of, of sacks and tackles for loss every year. Uh, the pressure is really going to be on Georgia's offensive front, but it's a good group. I know there are you know, some questions about uh, Warren Erickson and his health, but I think you know, Warren McClendon, Justin Schaefer, Jamari Sawyer, these are really, really good players, and I think they should be confident going into this game. And then on the other side, I think Georgia's got to try to set the tone in the middle of their defense with Jordan Davis. You know, Clemson has some relative questions along the offensive line, and I think Jordan Davis can set the tone draw attention to the middle of the defense, and if that happens, then Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson are coming off the edge and pressuring DJ Uyunglele, and and I think that's the key. So it is amazing that, Kevin, we're always going to talk about the quarterbacks, and and there are two great quarterbacks in JT Daniels and uh, DJ Uyunglele, and the playmakers, we know about the playmakers, but I think this game is going to be won at the line of scrimmage, and I think it was Christian maybe a couple of weeks ago who said when he watches football, that's what he watches. You know, a lot of people follow the ball or – whatnot he watches the line of scrimmage and I think that's where you need to watch this game NFL players on both sides of the lines uh, guys that are all American good this game's going to come down to the trenches and who can win there it could and I think we're kind of and again we've talked a lot about offense and I think that's going to be the key uh, when you talk about the two quarterbacks obviously the offensive lines for both teams seems like we haven't talked a lot about these teams defensively both of whom are obviously still very very good that's Kirby's bread and butter for crying out loud and it seems like we haven't talked as much about these two teams defensively as much as we had uh, offensively and what people think they're going to be able to do when they have the ball in their hands well and I think the key there is are are you defensively Clemson or Georgia responding to your opponent and what they do are they dictating the tempo or are you kind of forcing the issue on your opponent? And and I think that's key. If you're Georgia, you got to be aggressive. You got to attack DJ Uyunglele, playmakers there. You know, Justin Ross is obviously going to be a focal point in the passing game, but I think you have to pressure Clemson. You have to put the pressure on Clemson's offensive line. And again, Adam Anderson, Nolan Smith, uh, the defensive line in a 3-4 scheme, I think these guys are as good as it gets, and they can draw attention, double teams at the line of scrimmage, but you're going to need those linebackers to come you know, come off the edge, and you don't even have to get sacks. I think sometimes we 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 overstress the importance of sacks. Yes, they matter. A second and long, a third and long is very difficult. But if you're disrupting the timing of an opposing offense, if you're forcing Uyangalale to you know move out of the pocket, I think that's a big key for Georgia. And again, a couple more days, and it will be upon us here from Charlotte. Appreciate Jeb Blazevitz joining us here. This is three and out on this Wednesday, all across the Southern Pigskin. Radio Network, we are streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. Love to hear from you on Twitter as well, at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio.
Good to have you back here, three and out on this Wednesday. Countdown is on to the opening weekend of uh, football in the SEC. And uh, joining us here from Cowbell Corner and SI, Chrissy Freud joining us. Chrissy, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How are you? Hey, right, we're doing fantastic. And uh, and obviously there with uh, with Cowbell Corner, uh, things in the SEC West getting ready to go uh, full go there. How do you think teams are feeling here looking at Alabama? Is it everybody's chasing Alabama and everybody feels like they're the second best team out there right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that Alabama is a team to beat, obviously, every single year. I think that Florida could be a team uh, that could be tough to beat this year. I think that Georgia has a lot of the right pieces in place. I also kind of think that Georgia is a team that seems to have had the right pieces in place on several occasions and hasn't been able to make it happen. Uh, So I think it's going to be interesting to watch, but I really can't see anybody other than uh, Alabama coming out on top of the SEC this year like they always seem to do. So what are the expectations for Mississippi State? Had a couple of games last year where obviously you look great and then had some struggles as well. Uh, what has Mike Leach said this preseason, and what are the expectations? Well, I think kind of the, the phrase that Mike Leach constantly uses is that this team is a work in progress, and even though it sounds cliche, I think that there is absolutely a lot of merit to that. Um, another thing is I think that there's kind of this notion that last year – that COVID affected every team the same way and on paper, yeah, it did. I mean, it was the same type of restrictions, uh, the, t- the same type of stuff to put up with, but really it didn't affect every single team the same way. I think that Mississippi State was really under the gun in the worst of ways, uh, perhaps worse than any other team in the nation. You had uh, arguably the youngest team or the second youngest team in the entire conference, and they're having to learn a new scheme on either side of the ball over Zoom And then whenever you look at the offense in particular, it couldn't have been any more different because Joe Moorhead ran an RPO-based offense with a running quarterback uh, when he was here. And then the air raid, obviously, it's a a pass-happy offense. They don't run the ball uh, very often, although the the running backs do get a lot of touches, develop a lot of versatility in this offense. So I think that the full offseason helps a lot. I think having guys that are bought in uh, this unique scheme, I think, helps a lot. And I think that they have a lot of good – returners on either side of the ball and I think that with that repetition uh, with an offense that's based on repetition and execution I think this team can really shock a lot of people this year and that's why I predicted them to go nine and three. Wow Uh, you look at uh, out there there's big news and notes Jimbo Fisher gets an extension for nine million dollars a year a lot of folks thinking a preemptive strike just in case maybe an LSU gig comes over. What do you kind of make? I know you were uh, there at LSU. What do you kind of make of Texas A&M four years into that 10-year deal, re-upping and uh, giving him, what, $2 million or about $2 million more a year, up to $9 million? Yeah, I mean, I think the A&M has progressively gotten better. I think that they're a team to watch this season. Um, I think that they've got a lot of good pieces on the roster, but at the same time, these are a lot of guys that are unproven as well. Like, mainly I'm thinking of uh, the quarterback, Haynes King, which in I think it was somewhere around three snaps that we saw of him last year. He showed just about everything. He covered the whole spectrum. But the, the thing is, that's a matter of about three snaps. And so, um, I, in order for me to be high on a quarterback, I've got to see what he can do beyond that. So I think that as far as the ceiling, the potential is through the roof. But I'm going to need to see it put together before I really buy into any of that. You mentioned a quarterback there. Uh, quarterback questions, a number of questions in the SEC. What's your take on on kind of the quarterback depth we have in the SEC this season compared to years past? Yeah, I think you have a lot of guys that are new. 
I think the ESPN showed a graphic not too long ago. I think it was ESPN about um, who had the most starts and uh, kind of this breakdown of how experienced each quarterback was. And really, you see a lot of guys uh, that aren't very experienced. I think that Will Rogers actually enters the season more experienced than I think at least four, somewhere around there. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch how many of these guys uh, can develop into what we think they can be um, and how much, I guess, rotation there is as far as uh, I, I thought it was really interesting whenever Kentucky named Will Levis the starter over there. So I'm curious to see uh, how successful he is and just around the SEC how many of these guys last and how many of them are overtaken. Tennessee, I think, is another situation uh, to kind of look at like that. So I think that you have a lot of new guys, a lot of promise. One guy that I think I've got my eye on more than anyone else is probably Max Johnson out of LSU. I mean, just like a lot of these other kids, we haven't seen a lot of him as far as being a starter on the field, but he is he is 2-0, and it was a an upset win over Florida. That was a team ranked number six. LSU only finished with five wins last year. He's responsible for two of those. Uh, so I liked a lot of stuff that I saw from him. I'm very excited to see what he can do this year. Uh, Chrissy, how short has the, the, the patience with quarterbacks gotten now? Uh, you look at a time when guys would come in, you develop, you develop, and maybe a guy three or four years playing, sophomore year shows big progression, junior, senior year, you've got a really solid player. It seems like now guys come in as freshmen and you have a bad game with two or three picks, and already it's like, oh, maybe we should go with that other guy. I mean, has it ever been a, a quicker, quicker jumping off point with quarterbacks than what we, we were seeing right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is some jumping around. As far as the jumping around concept itself, I don't like that. I think that uh, anyone, especially a young guy, is going to take some time to develop. And then when you think about the way that circumstances have been recently, it's less than ideal. So um, I, I think that with quarterbacks in general, that you need to spend some time on them before you move on. And I think that the Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns, as an example I always use, they're a perfect example of what happens whenever you're impatient and you hop around too much. At Auburn, you have Bo Nix entering his third season as a starter. You have turnover, obviously, with the coaching staff. Uh, it's always hard to kind of to kind of figure out where, where Auburn is, how good they're going to be. What do you think about the Tigers when you look at them in 2021? Yeah, I think that they're kind of a team that's always gives people a little bit of problems. I think that uh, Auburn, LSU, whenever I covered LSU, that was always a tough matchup for them. Um, as far as Bo Nix in particular, I've – I feel like this is, I mean, really this is his last chance to turn the corner, and I think that if he doesn't do it early on this season that he's going to be benched and we're going to see uh, some of T.J. Finley. But, I mean, I think with some of the, the changes that they've made um, throughout the off season, uh, that they look a little bit different. I think that the circumstances are more favorable for Bo Nix to do better, but I don't. I, it's going to be one of those things where I believe it when I see it because I feel like I've been hearing a lot of, oh, Bo Nix is going to come around for quite a long time and haven't seen it yet. Christy Froy joining us here on 3 and Out. And, uh, Christy, over to the East. Obviously, uh, Georgia's playing Clemson uh, this week. How do you kind of read that game either way? Uh, if, if Georgia comes out with a dub, what does that set them up for? If they happen to lose uh, a game to, obviously, a top-five team, Clemson, what does that tell you, if anything, about the Bulldogs and the, and the rest of their season? I think, I think that that's definitely a big game for Georgia. I think that they've got a lot to prove, and I think that it serves as the first test. Um, I'm really curious to see how JT Daniels does in particular. Um, he, was, he was a guy that's pretty high up in my rankings, and I want to put him higher. But with that sample size of what was it, somewhere around four games, I just can't. I can't do it. If he's consistently as good as he was in those four games, then he's 
top five, no question. But I, I'm really excited to see uh, how consistent he can be and if he's the same guy that we saw there last year. Who do you think is the top contender uh, to to Georgia in the East? Uh, is is it Florida, or is there another team in your mind uh, that can be right there? I would say it would be Florida. I think that uh, just like I said with Auburn, even more so, Florida is also a team uh, that, that makes other teams struggle. And I think that uh, with Emory Jones, they have a quarterback that can do quite a bit, and I think that uh, they could potentially pre- uh, present a threat moving on down the line. You mentioned you used to cover LSU. Obviously, uh, just a tragic, very difficult uh, couple of days for the state of Louisiana. Uh, how difficult has it been for them to prepare for a college football game, given all that's uh, tragically going on at home? Yeah, I mean, I think that I know a lot of people back in Louisiana, and it's caused a lot of power outages, a lot of uh, just having to jump through hoops to resemble any type of normalcy until everything, I guess, goes back to as normal as it possibly can be these days. But I know that they did have to relocate. I think that that makes things a lot more difficult whenever you're kind of out of sorts trying to prepare for a game. But, I mean, I think this is a strong enough team that's dealt with uh, plenty of adversity, and I think that they can kind of get their feet under them and bounce back. But, I mean, no question – Whenever you're under circumstances like that, it's going to make things a little bit tougher, and you're going to have to be really mentally strong in that preparation. Corner on SI, our guest here on 3 and Out. Christy, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Christy Freud joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Football till next year has got three name image likeness deals yeah i mean he's a he's a star you know you think about the uh the profile of some of these big time five-star recruits coming out of high school uh going to a, a program like ohio state you know fans all around the country already know who you are and kind of have expectations and will he play this season will he start this season don't know but he's already at a a, a known name with a brand and I think you've seen uh, him be uh, a kind of a brand ambassador on social media. Uh, obviously, this is a big deal. You talk about autographs. If you become the star quarterback or the starting quarterback at Ohio State, you're going to be one of the most recognizable players in the country. But I do wonder, you know, how common is this going to be moving forward where you enter college, like you said, with big-time deals, with various marketing contracts, uh, the value of your autograph, the value of a social media post, uh, the value of, you know, representing a brand. How is that market going to play itself out? Because you've talked about this, even going back to the beginning of all this, it was going to take, what, a couple of years maybe, a year to kind of feel out where the market is ultimately going to settle. And I think we're still very early in that process, especially for players who are transitioning from high school to college, a little bit of a different situation than say like a JT Daniels, who's, you know, been a starting quarterback has played college football, obviously was at SC transferred to Georgia. Uh, Look, I mean, happy, happy for the young man. And, and we've seen a wide variety of marketing deals, but you wonder how, how common will this be moving forward? Yeah, I mean, obviously the company that's paying him $1.5 million it feels like the value is going to come on the back end uh, of this deal, and that is when he's actually a starting quarterback, right? Uh, BJ, and again, I think the perfect example of this is kind of, uh, you know, if you look at name, image, likeness, coming into this, well, a few weeks ago, a year ago, uh, point of the preseason, Jamie Newman was going to be the starting quarterback 
of the Georgia Bulldogs. And he probably would have gotten great name image likeness deals and, and, and things of that nature as a starting quarterback at Georgia. He opted out. We didn't hear from him for the entirety of the season. Didn't see him until it came time for uh, postseason uh, in like the Senior Bowls and some stuff like that, and he ends up going undrafted. So I think certainly when you take a, a chance on a kid, and we've seen stories, BJ, time and time again, just because you're the number one guy in the recruiting class doesn't mean you're going to pan out, doesn't, gonna mean, doesn't mean you're going to become a mega superstar across the country of college football fans. So I think it's certainly one of those that's banking on the fact that Quinn Ewers will be at some point the starting quarterback at Ohio State. And as you said, that's when the, uh, the brand association becomes exponentially important. Yeah, I think that's definitely a big part of it. But I guess with the high-profile uh, nature of recruiting at this point, I mean, Kevin, is he already a star? And, and I, I think he is in terms of being a, a known name, a, a known commodity across college football. Uh, recruiting is, is a big deal, of course. And when you're the number one player or one of the top three or four players, I think you probably do have national recognition associated with your brand. And I know he's had some, uh, you know, post business type posts on social media. So I think when you are a five star, when you're one of the top four or five players in the country, uh, people follow your, you know, your recruiting. I think at one point was committed to Texas, decommitted, committed to Ohio State, signed, and now with the Buckeyes. But I think you're you're a brand and you have marketability to a certain extent, maybe even before, as we're seeing here, you ever really have success or do anything at the collegiate level. Yeah, and I think that's uh, where you hope, if you're the brand, you're the company uh, kind of making these deals that, uh, he continues to play well, and, and he does that. Because, again, I think uh, the most important thing in athlete deals is that you are seen playing your sport. Uh, that's kind of why we're doing these, right, uh, is because you have a name that's been developed by yourself through playing sport or through your activity. You're no different than a movie star who becomes famous. Why? Because they're in the movie. Uh, you know, and I, and I think if you quit being in movies – you become less relevant of a movie star, right? I mean, so I think that's some of it, uh, too, with, with sports. If you are the starting quarterback at Ohio State, I think it's going to be good. If he's a backup, can't break into that starting role consistently, I think you'll see uh, maybe some of those deals become uh, less available uh, simply because, obviously, you want to place your, your high-level deals in the guys that are playing uh, and, and playing at a high level. So, uh, again, I think we're still in the early stages of this, B.J., is – Companies want to get involved so they can say they're involved. Hey, we want to be in with name, image, likeness. Why? Because it's good. Every time we get a name, image, likeness deal almost right now, it's becoming, uh, you know, big-time news. So I think companies want to be associated with that and the good PR that comes along with that as well. We've got another hour to go. Matt Connolly, Clemson Sports, joins us next hour here on 3 and Out. Hour 2 here, 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Matt Connolly, ClemsonSports.com will join us coming up. In about 20 minutes here on the show, we'll get the Clemson aspect of this game coming up between the Tigers and the Bulldogs on Saturday. We'll look at a little Braves baseball as well. It's starting, starting to tighten back up there in the National League East. But first, it's 4 o'clock. Let's take three here on three and out. All right, BJ, we are 14 years ago today away from App State beating Michigan. One of the great upsets of college football. App State, a 33-point underdog. Was it the greatest upset of all time? I mean, in, in college football, yes. And I, I think at the time, we didn't 
appreciate Appalachian State and that team to the extent we obviously, you know, should have an FCS superpower back when they were in the Southern Conference. But what was amazing about that game, and I watched the whole game, I remember it, was just watching Appalachian State control the vast majority of that game. I mean, that was not that was not a game where they kind of rallied in the fourth quarter, got some turnovers. They held a multi-score lead for a good portion of that game. And Armani Edwards, one of the great college football players ever, was just unstoppable. You had Dexter Jackson at wide receiver making plays. You had a number of professional football players in the NFL on that roster. And the great Jerry Moore, who had won you know, multiple national titles, multiple conference championships, the head coach. And you know Michigan had Chad Henney. And they came back late, had a play. And then Appalachian State, you know, blocked the field goal at the end, and it was it was unbelievable. Uh, and and I think now it, it, it's a little more common to see the FCS over FBS wins. But what was so incredible about that is that wasn't just Appalachian State beating a team that you know was an FBS team, but probably wasn't very good. Michigan was in the top five. Michigan was one of the top teams in the country and had pro players all over that roster. So to watch Appalachian State go in, kind of kind of execute their game plan perfectly. And then at the end, when it did kind of go back and forth briefly, they stepped up and made a play, a blocked field goal, when it looked like, it looked like Michigan had done enough to, of course, put themselves in a position to win that game and kind of change history. And then you block that kick and it was just pandemonium. It was just crazy. But that was an incredible moment in, in college football history. And, a, and it's a big part of the Appalachian State legacy, obviously. Sure. And I would say probably one, probably the greatest because of, like you said, time and place and, and kind of how it was. I think North Dakota State has beaten Iowa a few times uh, in the preseason. But by and large, you see some of those teams from the Midwest, as you said, uh, if you beat a Nebraska or somebody like that, at least recently, they've been kind of an average to middling team. And North Dakota State has been a, what, just powerhouse at the uh, at the FCS level, where Appalachian State, as you said, was uh, FCS, 1AA, as they called it at that point, and you beat a top-five team. And as you know, BJ, I think so much of football is what separates those games is just the sheer number of dudes you have, the guys you have, like, Michigan had way more athletes than Appalachian State. That's not even a question. You just don't see things like that. A 33-point underdog. If you're a 33-point underdog, you may put a scare in somebody. In a lot of ways, that's the victory, right? You you put a scare in in a top 10 team, that's the victory. We came out here, they didn't respect us. And they only beat us by a touchdown, or they beat us by 10, and we, we let it slip away late. But I think that's what separates the tops of college football, uh, even more so from the FCS-type teams now, is that if Clemson were to line up against a Wofford, uh, look, it w- not that Wofford's frontline guys wouldn't be okay players, it's the fact that Clemson has 25 more of them uh, than, than Wofford does, and that's where the separation comes in. So the fact that App State was there, made a play to finish the game makes it all that more impressive and as you said 33 point dog to a top five team in their place one of the most how and again dare i say bj is that one of those moments where it kind of set up michigan to kind of uh, eliminate some of the mystique i believe at that point wasn't michigan the winningest program in college football are they still the winningest program in college football and you got beat in the big house by little Appalachian State, and it, it, I won't say right after that. I think they had Tom. Was Tom Brady the quarterback there? Was he one of the quarterbacks there? Chad Henney might have been. Yeah, Chad Henney, yeah. And they haven't really kind of been much of the same 
in those last 14 years. Not too often. They've been more kind of middling than they have uh, national power since then. So, yeah, I'd say that's probably the greatest, at least modern-day upset uh, that we can think of in college football. All right, take two. We've had a lot of fun with this, and people all over the place have had fun with Bishop Sycamore, and rightfully so. So as long as you get to make stuff up and – doesn't matter. You can play whatever you want. What position would you play at Bishop Sycamore? Since, you know, you don't even have to be in high school. Okay, the only position that I can that I can even play, that I can even attempt to play, is kicker. And I want to go ahead and say I'm not going to be good. I was not good when I did play kicker. Uh, you know, I could kick off, I guess, okay. I could hit extra points theoretically, but I didn't have any, you know, long range. You think about, oh, a 45-yard field goal, a 50-yard field goal, no chance. So you are no a chance. Bishop Bishop could Sycamore I, five-star is what you are saying. Okay, that's fine. I mean, could, could, <laughs> could I double as a punter? Could I kick and punt? I think that would be where my value would be. Not that I would be great at either, but you always talk about, you hear Ben say, can you play multiple positions? What's your positional value? Well, I can be a kicker. I can be a punter. Probably best suited to be a backup kicker and a backup punter. But I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna give my all on special teams. And the way they hype you up, man, they, you you probably would have uh, got Tom Luganville giving you a call at the end of the day. I don't know, man. Like fullback, is there, those even exist? I mean, do they anymore? Like, there's like five Christian of them in America. Said, Christian said you were gonna say uh, you you were gonna play uh, wide receiver, edge rusher. You're, you're going fullback? Yeah. I don't have to play too much. I mean, admittedly, at this age, maybe I could pass. I don't know. For a uh, Bishop Sycamore high schooler, I don't know. But I'm only probably going to be good at my age for about five plays. So fullback, third down, put me in there, then I need 15 minutes on the sideline to get it back. Christian said long snapper. So you and I can work together. I, I, maybe I... I don't know. I've tried. I've tried uh, long snapping once or twice, and I know people get mad when those guys like have bad snaps. But that is actually fairly difficult to be accurate and speedy. I, I don't know if people have tried. Like I could be accurate, but the snap is very slow. And when you try to speed it up, it it doesn't go well. Not not what you would wish for. All right, moving along. Take three. It's national. Speaking of no rhyme, no reason. National no rhyme, no reason day. So what is the first play that comes to mind when you hear the term head scratcher? How about a play that shouldn't have happened? Uh, You go back to 1990 and you have Colorado and Missouri. And if you think back, Colorado has a shared national championship with Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech had an undefeated season. I think tied North Carolina is there, uh, you know, that that, kind of kept them from being the complete number one. But also you had Missouri beat Colorado like by the rules of the game with with four downs an extra down was given they lost track of what down it was everybody in the stadium the announcers the commentators on TV are saying like what's happening why are we having an extra down it's called the fifth down game for a reason and you had Colorado go ahead and score a touchdown on the last play after they had spiked the ball on fourth down to try to stop the clock there ended up being a fifth down Colorado wins and give them credit for making the play, but the play shouldn't have happened. And you end up with a split national championship between Colorado and Georgia Tech in a game that by kind of the rules of the game, Missouri won. And it was such a such an incredible scene because uh, you can you can find it on YouTube. Missouri was playing at home that everybody in the crowd thought they had won the game and they ran onto the field and tore the goalpost down. They tore the goalpost down and they lost technically. 
because of the fifth down and the confusion. And there was a play that came down right at the goal line. Obviously, no instant replay. But everybody's jumping up and down going, this is the fifth down. This is the fifth down. What's happening? And no replay. You can't kind of go back and undo it. So Colorado got an extra play and scored on that play a touchdown, a short touchdown run with no time left. That's it. And they got a fifth down. So that's a head scratcher. How do you give somebody an extra play? How do you give somebody an extra down? So we were watching the video earlier. It's crazy. Uh, but for my uh, just what in the world type type yeah. moment, I'm going to go with that. Well, I think everybody got confused because you actually hear the in-stadium announcer go, it's first and goal, right? And then they run a play, and then the on-air announcer saying, wait a minute, the down marker says two, but I think it's actually first and goal. And so he said, I think the down markers got it wrong. It's actually first and goal. So he even thought. It was wrong. And then he said, no, now it's second down again. So they just didn't flip it. And so he's like, no, it's second down. So they ended up with five downs uh, at the end of the day. That was crazy. No, if I think of, like, just head scratcher, like, no rhyme, no reason, it's, uh, 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 what was it? Arkan- was Arkansas State? We just- Was that who it was? Arkansas State against Miami. They have a punt situation on. They fake the punt, and a wideout stands up, fakes a heart attack, and just falls over backwards. And the fake punt gets intercepted anyways. And then a Miami guy comes and blocks him after he gets up off the ground. And it's uh, it's just one of those where, like, there wasn't anybody within 10 feet. It was like, hut, and just fell over like a tree uh, backwards, clutching his chest. And for, for no apparent reason. I don't know if simulating that on the field uh, with, like, people think, oh, my gosh, is that guy okay? And, like, not pay attention or what the thinking was there, but it is, to this day, one of the strangest things I have ever seen in a football game anywhere where hike the ball and just fall over for no reason, for no reason. And how does that come up in practice? Like, what, I mean, what in the world? Clutch your chest and fall over. I don't, we're going to call this the the fake cardiac play. I don't know. (laughs) But I laugh every time I see it because... BJ, when you when you watch it, you're so used to watching football highlights, and you literally just see a guy hut stand straight up and fall backwards, and you're going, "This happened in a real game, like not goofing off at practice, like you're playing Miami, the U, and you're out here faking a punt, which gets picked off, and one of your gunners just falls over for no, for no reason. It makes no sense." At all. So that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that. And there's been all kind of weird stuff out there that's happened before. I, I think uh, it was like TCU or Boise State. I can't remember. There's there's a, I mean, there's a video out there for everything. But there's actually like a top 10, like craziest plays that have happened in a game. And either TCU or Boise had a player on the kickoff lay down in the end zone, which was the same color as the jersey. So then the kickoff happens. I think to the one guy that they can see standing up, the guy runs towards him. He stands up out of the end zone, takes the ball and runs like 45 yards on the kickoff before he gets tackled. And it was like, how did you not see him just laying on the ground back there? But apparently it worked. So just all kind of innovative stuff there. Game planning. Hey, so can you imagine like a play like, hey, you've played uh, football all your life, all your Pop Warner coach, everybody's like, it's about effort. It's about intensity. Get after it. And then you ha- you get to college and your coach is like, look, our uniforms are the same color as the paint in the end zone. I want you to lay down. 
What? I want you to lay down right on the paint so nobody can see you. And then when they kick the ball, we're going to bring it to you and you're going to get up out of the abyss and just start running the kickoff back. What? <laughs> uh, you know his eyes are probably like big as, uh, you know, uh, coffee cups going, I hope I don't get laid out uh, when this when this plan goes into action. That's take three. Uh, we do it each and every day here this time. We'll come back. Matt Connolly, ClemsonSports.com will join us for previewing Tigers, Dogs next here on 3 and Out. 3 and Out here on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, glad you're with us. On the show, Clemson and Georgia now just a couple of days away. Matt Conley, ClemsonSports.com, part of On3 Sports, joins us here on the program. Matt, just a couple of days away, I know in Athens, uh, everybody's been waiting on this one. I would imagine Clemson equally as excited to play this one on on Saturday evening. You would be correct. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, the players, the coaches, everyone are ready to get out there. You know, it's been been a long offseason after the way the Georgia, or I'm sorry, the Ohio State game went last year, kind of the end of the season. Uh, left everyone with a bad taste in the mouth. So, yeah, I think they've uh, they've waited a long time to get back on the field and are ready to get out there. Matt, what are the expectations for DJ Uyangalale, who was you know spectacular in a couple of games last season uh, within the program? What are the expectations for him and this offense this fall? First of all, great pronunciation. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, there's a lot of excitement around him. You know. As you mentioned, he was great last year against Notre Dame and Boston College in both of those games. Uh, passed for the most yards ever by an opposing quarterback against Notre Dame in his first career road start, you know, playing in prime time, a night game. So um, I think expectations are high. You know, I, I think um, in some ways, you know, I think it's a little unfair maybe to expect him to come out and just pick up where Trevor Lawrence left off last year. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's one of the best college quarterbacks of all time, um, or at least probably in the conversation, you know, a first overall draft pick, a guy that, that just had a great career at Clemson. So I don't know that he's going to be that immediately. Um, but, you know, I, I think he has the best arm the coaching staff has said they've ever seen, that including Trevor. Um, so, you know, I think he can make all the throws. He, he has everything you could possibly want in a quarterback. But just some of the decision-making and reading defenses and, and making the right audibles and all that kind of stuff I think takes a little time. Um, and I don't think he's going to be where Trevor ended last year to start off. But, Definitely expectations are high for him. I was going to say, Matt, what are – the hype train has been out of control, obviously, with the, with DJU. What's the expectation that he's going to do coming out, especially in a game of this magnitude, when at the end of the day, as talented as he is, he's made two starts? Yeah, but I think, I think that's fair. But at the same time, you know, just a little pushback. I mean, that Notre Dame defense last year was really, was really, really good. Um not as good as Georgia up front, I don't think, but on the back end, maybe a little bit better. Uh, they, they had, you know, Kyle Hamilton at safety is a really good player. Nick McLeod was a pretty good cornerback. Um, so I think, uh, you know, that Notre Dame defense he played last year to put up, I think it was 439 yards on them, uh, putting up 40 points on them. Um, you know, I think that uh, he probably has better weapons this year with Justin Ross back and, and E.J. Williams and some of the guys around him, uh, Joseph Mangata and Frank Lassen, healthy now as well. So I think expectations are, are rightfully pretty high. Um, obviously, you know, Georgia's defense is really good, and they know that it'll be a tough task, but they still feel really good about, about where D.J. is going into this game. I know a lot of Georgia fans are talking about the matchup of Georgia's offensive line and Clemson's defensive line. 
We've seen so many great defensive lines at Clemson. I mean, could this be one of the best we've seen? I think so, yeah, I really do. Um, and obviously Georgia's got a great defensive line as well. But when you look at, at you know, you've got five starters or five guys at defensive end who have started a game before for Clemson, um, Brian Brzee and Tyler Davis back at defensive tackle. A couple of guys who are really, really good have made a lot of big plays and big games. Um, I think they're expecting Brian Brzee to be one of the best defensive tackles in the country this year. You know, he's a guy that's talked about differently than than really anyone else on the defensive line, um, and maybe even on the team as far as his talent and, and what he brings to the table. Um, you know, I, I think that that they're excited about the entire defensive front and feel good about all those guys. But you just hear kind of a different level of, of excitement with the staff and other players talk about Brzee and what he's capable of. So really looking forward to seeing him Saturday, uh, year two in the program from him. Obviously a, a former number one overall uh, recruit coming out of out of high school. Um, and so I think that, uh, that he's got a chance to have a really great year. And, and obviously they'd love for that to start Saturday against Georgia. And, and obviously with the extra year of eligibility, you look at a, a Clemson team that at least you read the depth chart, you say, man, they got a bunch of underclassmen uh, on this defense and are expected to be really, really good. Not a lot of guys who are seniors on that uh, that defense. Obviously, James Skalski is coming back. But how good is this team for being so young? Yeah, they, they don't have a lot of seniors, but they have guys that have played a lot of football. I mean, they've got nine starters back on defense. Um, as I mentioned, they've got five guys at defensive end who have started before. Uh, James Skalski and Baylin Spector are a couple of seniors at linebacker who are back who have played uh, a lot of football, started before. Uh, Trenton Simpson, a sophomore at linebacker who started uh, some last year and played a big role at the end of the season. Uh, Andrew Booth Jr. is a guy that, that they expect to be you know, a, a really good player this year, an All-American candidate. Um, you know, if you look at some early mock drafts, he's a potential top-10 pick overall. Uh, so they feel good about him at corner. Nolan Turner is a six-year safety who's coming back. So, you know, Landon Zanders is a returning starter at safety. So they have a lot of guys back that have started a lot before and maybe not necessarily a ton of starter or a ton of uh, seniors on that side of the ball, but a lot of guys that have played a lot of football. Amazing success for Clemson. When you think about what seven straight college football playoff appearances and uh, one of the favorites to make it again, is this a game that, that Clemson might have to win though? I mean, if you lose to Georgia, there may not be another high profile game, uh, at least nationally on your schedule until the ACC title game. Is there a sense that this is a game, Clemson kind of has to have, or is or, or is that unfair at this point? Yeah, it's hard. I was talking with someone about this um, actually on a different radio show earlier today, and, and there's actually six playoffs right now for Clemson. They're going for seven this year. Uh, but just the fact that, you know, does this game mean more for Clemson or Georgia? And you look at Clemson, you know, if Clemson loses this game, they don't have another necessarily big-time marquee matchup until probably the ACC championship game. But at the same time, they're also not going to get many tests um, if any, during the regular season. And so, you know, if Clemson loses this one, goes 11-1 and wins the ACC championship, I think I think most likely they're probably still going to get in. Um, looking at it kind of from the opposite lens, you know, Georgia, if, if Georgia loses this one, they they still got to go through the SEC and that tough schedule and play an SEC championship game and stuff. And so can Georgia get in with two losses? And, and you know, who, I guess who needs this game more? So I think it's an interesting debate, an interesting conversation. Uh, but, yeah, cer- certainly – both teams are highly motivated, want to get this win. Um, but, yeah, I think you know, the, the game's not going to decide what kind of season either team has necessarily, but I do think that it's going to play a really large role in kind of margin of error for sure and kind of, kind of how it plays out the rest of the year. 
You look at uh, Georgia uh, with JT Daniels. What does Clemson expect to see from Todd Monken in that offense uh, when, when Clemson's got to be out there on defense, and how do they expect to be attacked by the Bulldogs? Yeah, I mean, Brent Venables was saying Georgia has the best group of running backs in the country probably. Just um, Zamir White and all those guys, he's he just really impressed with him. Um, you know, JT Daniels, obviously, last year at the end of the year, really came on strong. Uh, you know, Cincinnati uh, tried to – Tried to make Georgia beat him through the air, and Georgia did. You know, JT passed for nearly 400 yards that game, had another 400-yard game, I think, in his first start um, at Mississippi State. So Clemson's well aware of what he's capable of as a passer, really impressed with him, and, and just feel like, you know, it's going to come down to the line of scrimmage. Um, obviously, Georgia's down some weapons, and, and I don't think Clemson has a great idea of kind of who's going to be out there at receiver and tight end and, and what necessarily all the personnel is going to look like. Uh, but, you know, I think that they're, uh, they're confident in their plan. I think it's going to come down to trying to get pressure on JT um, and trying to stop the running game. Although Venables also said, you know, JT's one of the best quarterbacks in the country at passing under pressure. So definitely uh, they have a lot of respect for Georgia's offense, even even maybe potentially being down a couple of guys and, and really looking forward to, to the matchup and trying to take on that challenge. Is this a game, you know, assuming it's close, where Clemson would rather be in a back-and-forth high-scoring game? Or, or do you think Clemson would prefer, again, if they could kind of control the tempo of the game, that this game is 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 more of a defensive game, so to speak? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think both teams are probably okay with winning. I mean, that's, that's one thing about Georgia that I think they, they've shown is they can win different ways. You know, they can run it down your throat and uh, give it to their talent or run it back a lot, or if you're going to – load the box, they can throw it over the top and make plays deep and play it. And so I think both teams kind of feel like they can win in different ways. Um, you know, Clemson's probably more accustomed to, to some shootouts and some of those high-scoring games, um, although, you know, they've been unable to keep up lately against Ohio State and LSU in some shootouts. So I, it, it'll be interesting to see for sure. Uh, but, yeah, I think I don't think either team's necessarily going into it thinking that there's a certain amount of points we want to score or, or anything like that. Uh, I think it's just kind of more going to depend on how the game goes along, as the defense is able to get stopped, um, some of that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm personally expecting a more low-scoring game, but, um, you know, I think both teams are capable of winning in several different ways. Matt Conley, ClemsonSports.com, joining us. And, and Matt, what are you hearing around uh, Clemson just about playing Georgia? I know they don't play as much as uh, they have done in the past. I know this is one you talk to Georgia fans. They're like, hey, we love playing Clemson. It's a, it's a great rivalry game, even though you don't get to play it a lot. Is this something that you think we'll see more of with Georgia and Clemson? Or given where both programs are right now, neither team may want to sign up for a top five game to start the year uh, too terribly often. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to play again in 2024. They've got a home and away coming up at the end of the decade. So we'll definitely send it, see this game, uh, I think, you know, several times over the next few years. Uh, you know, Dabo's been very open that, that he feels like this game should be played every year or at least a lot more often than it is. You know, you go back to the 70s and 80s, this was a great rivalry. Even early 2000s, they played semi, semi-often. So, man, I love it. I mean, I, I just, you know, as a – kid growing up in South Carolina, I used to turn on the TV and love watching Clemson and Georgia, and you got, you know, play-action passes and, and uh, you know, the big G and all and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I you know, I love this rivalry going up, so I'd love to see it play more. I think Clemson fans and, and Clemson coaches and, and players would love to see it play more. Um, obviously, there are a lot of players from Atlanta and, and, and the Georgia area on 
Clemson's team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great rivalry. Looking forward to it. Hoping they'll continue to, to keep scheduling each other more often moving forward. Matt Conley, ClemsonSports.com, part of the On3 part of On3 Sports, our guest here on 3 and Out. Matt, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thank you all for having me. Appreciate it. Matt Connolly joining us, talking uh, Clemson. They're ahead of their game with George B.J. And uh, your kind of takeaway there as, uh, as Clemson, D.J. Uyunglele. And, again, I think a lot of times he did play well against Notre Dame. But, again, at the end of the day, two starts for, for D.J. Uyunglele. Is that enough of a sample size for us to say, yes, we expect him to come out and put up big numbers? Yeah, yeah, I think the expectations are fair. You know, looking at looking at DJ Uyunglele and expecting him to be one of the quarterbacks that are one of the best in the country. I think I, I think that is fair. Uh, I think a lot of what Clemson does will depend on him, but a lot of what Clemson does will also depend on the defensive line. And I think that's where you heard Matt talk about the depth. What five different defensive ends with starting experience? So I think yes, the playmakers, the quarterback. Uh, you know, Clemson has talent everywhere, but keep an eye on the defensive line for Clemson. I think that matchup with Georgia's offensive line is going to be the most important of the game. We've got more to come here on this Wednesday. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, and BJ, things getting tight in the National League East. The Braves lose to the Dodgers last night down to Two and a half over the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. Mets back within five and a half there in the East. You finish up with the Dodgers tonight before Colorado. And obviously you'd like to get one in the win column, but it is September 1st, which means expanded rosters. I believe the Braves have called up a couple of guys, uh, Orlando Arcia, I think Jacob Webb uh, back. So you should have uh, a little bit more depth on your team. So if things start uh, uh, using up arms, et cetera, you should have a little bit more uh, versatility as far as that goes. But... Obviously a loss tonight and a Phillies win, and it's down to a game and a half uh, with, with one month to go, and it's on at that point, I would imagine. Well, I wanted to get your thoughts on this as to kind of where your comfort level is. It, it, four and a half, five, five and a half, that's a different reality, and it can change in a span of a couple of days as we've seen, but two and a half uh, for a team that has been red hot, two and a half game lead, the Phillies after – really struggling against the Diamondbacks in that series and played great baseball. So they're bouncing back a little bit. Uh, the schedule is going to get a lot easier on paper for the Braves. Where's your comfort level up two and a half over Philadelphia? I still feel okay right now. I, Cause I feel like this team is still playing solid baseball. You, you look last night, just didn't score enough runs. I uh, only gave Charlie Morton two. It was almost enough. And then Tyler Matzik, who had been almost lights out. I think first runs he's allowed in like, some absurd amount of uh, appearances out of the bullpen, uh, and it just wasn't enough. Uh, you and I talked off air. Uh, two runs against the Dodgers most nights isn't going to cut it, and that's all they got last night. So I, I look at it and say, hey, you've played with the Dodgers. It's one thing to say you go out west and it's been 10-2 to two and 8-1 to one and you haven't been competitive. No, you've been competitive. You haven't been able to close the deal, and they've made some good plays late uh, to overtake you. Uh, in this series so been unfortunate but I still feel like you're playing at a high level and we'll see what happens when you go to Colorado I mean that could be anything uh, at, at that point this Braves offense could score 18 runs uh, in a game in Colorado the way they're hitting the baseball so uh, be interesting to see I'm not in panic mode because as you said Colorado the Nationals the Marlins 
Uh, you've got games left with Arizona. Uh, these are not great baseball teams by any stretch of the imagination. So you've got some opportunities to kind of right the ship and put the pressure on the Phillies and Mets to keep pace. The Phillies got postponed tonight, so they're going to play a doubleheader tomorrow. So a chance at the very least to open it up a half game and push it back to three uh, at the end of the day. And a big start for Max Freed. You know, the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, he's been great. Got that ERA down to around 3-5 and uh, has looked more recently like the Max Freed from last year. And for him to go up against Scherzer tonight for the Dodgers, that's a spotlight game. But Max Freed, you know, you you view him as an ace. And I think tonight is the opportunity for him to prove that going up against Scherzer and try to stop a little bit of a slide uh, and kind of get back on the right track in the standings. So you look ahead and you talk about a potential postseason rotation, Kevin, of Freed and Morton and uh, uh, Anderson. Well, you got to look at these starts like tonight as big-time opportunity starts as well. You know, if, if Max Freed is going to be the one or the two, as he's shown he can be, you want to see him have a great night tonight. So it's going to be hard against Scherzer, and uh, we'll see what the Braves can do offensively. But I'm looking to Max Freed to set the tone. And, again, I think you – you look at it in this frame as well. For as much as the Braves are trying to hold on in the East, the Dodgers are now within a half game of the Giants. So this is a team that's thinking, you know, you beat the Braves tonight, you could be in first place all of a sudden, and now the Giants are trying to get us. And I think that's the Dodgers team that's been waiting on that all season long. And, and people think about, I mean, think about this. Uh, for as much as there's been gnashing of teeth about the Braves and the way they've played, the Dodgers – who at the beginning of the season just, you know, Denny Green, you want to crown him, crown him uh, in the National League. Here it is September 1st, and they're not in first place, and they have not been in first place for quite some time there in the National League West. So uh, just because you are the best or perceived to be the best doesn't mean you don't have to work for it, and uh, that's what the Dodgers are trying to do. I think the Braves, obviously the pitching to me has been, outside of you know Drew Smiley, the pitching has been pretty good uh, for the most part for Atlanta. So, uh, if that continues, the offense, I think, is going to do what it does, and there's an opportunity for you to push this back up to 4-5 or five and, and really feel good. I, I know you don't want to go to that last weekend and it be within reach. I know that because then it's just you got to win. Uh, it's, you start the playoffs a little bit earlier, uh, but you'd like to go ahead and get it far enough where they can't challenge you in that last weekend and start to set that rotation for the playoffs if you get there. But, again, two and a half, one and a half. Can't start thinking about that. you got to get there first, and uh, the, the Braves still have some work to do, obviously. Well, I was also going to say this. You know, you don't remember at the end of the year how many games you won the division by, right? It's not like, oh, you won the division by, by three or five or seven. You just win the division. But is that the goal? I mean, of course you want to win every game and you want to uh, win the division, but in terms of how you do it, is it just don't have it come down to the last weekend? Just don't have it come down to – basically a winner-take-all series against Philadelphia at the end because that that's that's a whole lot easier to deal with, right, when you go into the last series knowing, okay, I can rest guys if I want to. I can set the rotation however I want. I can use the bullpen however I want. Obviously, you want to win the division, but I think the best way of doing it would be to avoid the pressure and the drama there at the end. Certainly, and you got good news about Ozzie Albies, who fouled a ball off his knee last night. MRIs uh, were negative on his knee. Don't know how much time he's going to miss. I, I think the last report I read was the Braves were hopeful he could avoid an IL stint uh, altogether. So that's good news. Uh, Adrianja, I think, is going to have to play in his stead. And you lose a little bit, and this is where the other three pieces that we've been talking about so much, BJ, really come into play of Riley, Swanson, Freeman, picking up uh, for the lack of, of Ozzie Albies in that lineup. And 
again, this is still a very good team, even without Ozzy Albies, but good that they may not be without him for the remainder of the season after a, a, a tough spot last night, fouled one off his knee. Yeah, yeah, very thankful that that wasn't worse. Um, I think when you look at the lineup now, you look at the bottom of the order, and if you could get a little tiny bit more from 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 Darno from Duval, I think that would be a you know a good thing moving forward. But yes, very thankful that uh, Ozzy Albies isn't seriously hurt. That would have been really difficult to overcome moving forward. And you have some bench pieces, you have some options, but yeah, look at everybody else in the lineup uh, to step up. And I think you'll see that and have something that that we've seen the last couple of years. I mean, the Braves have had some success against Scherzer when he's been with the Nationals. Do you think that continues? I hope so. I, I think since if you're, you're, your market correction uh, theorem, if that holds true, Max Scherzer, I think since he's been with the Dodgers, is 4-0, his ERA is under 2. Uh, so if it goes back the other direction, tonight would be a good night for it to go back the other direction. Uh, for Now, I'm not banking on it. I don't know if market correction and Max Scherzer often – go too much in the same sense. I was going to say, I like the way you're thinking, though. <laughs> I like it. I don't know if that necessarily goes in the same sentence. I think that dude just dominates uh, most of the time he goes out there, period. Uh, and we'll see if the Braves bring anything offensively. But again, Max Free, as you said, has shown a, uh, a, a better control of that curveball, better command out there, has pitched much better since coming back from this last stint on uh, – I mean, on, has that been the difference, Kevin? Because I've had some people ask me, hey, what's the difference with Max Freed over the last month and a half? Is it controlling the curveball, you think? I think that's part of it. I think he finally feels good and healthy and, uh, you know, kind of settled down into that that role on the team. I, I To me, that's it. I think control has been a, way, a lot better. And, again, he's a guy that – I mean, he's not going to go out there and throw 99 at you, right? He's everything he's doing is setting setting you up to play off his off speed, which is elite. So he's going to pump a fastball in there. It's probably not the fastest you're ever going to see, but it plays so nicely when you come back with a, a high 70s, low 80s curveball that just falls off the table. And so you lose control of some of that. And what happens? You start leaving, you know, 93, 94 over the middle of the plate. And if you do that, guys are going to be all over that. And I think that's what was happening earlier in the season. And good to see him kind of get it uh, back into uh, to, to good form here at the right time, I might add, here at the end of the season. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, will join us coming up in the final hour. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here 3 and Out on this Wednesday. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, will join us coming up in the final hour of the program, we'll hear from him as Georgia Southern set to open up on Saturday evening against Gardner-Webb, who will be the starting quarterback. Maybe he will have some insight for us uh, as to who that might be there for Georgia Southern. But we actually have college football tonight kicking it off, uh, BJ, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday run of college football here. And uh, looking forward to, uh, to getting the appetite wet tonight. Then Thursday, actually quite a few games on uh, Thursday night uh, to kind of really steamroll us into the weekend. Thursday and Friday, and I think a lot of people are overlooking the Friday night game, and it is a huge weekend games all across the schedule, but you have Virginia Tech and North Carolina playing on Friday night primetime in Blacksburg, and what a big spotlight that is for Sam Howell. A lot of people have talked about the North Carolina quarterback as being a Heisman Trophy frontrunner. Well, he's got a chance to make a statement right away, and Kevin, the Tar Heels overall are a top-10 team this preseason, 
bring back a lot defensively. I believe return all five starters along the offensive line. So games to look forward to every single day for for about you know almost a week here. But I do think that Friday night that's a bigger game than people are giving it credit for because North Carolina is being talked about as a potential college football playoff type team. Well, if you lose game one. You lose a lot of that momentum, and playing at Lane Stadium is very difficult to do, especially at night. There's going to be a great atmosphere there, and Virginia Tech's one of those teams that feels like they they, they probably need a big win to help stabilize that situation. So, And that's an ACC game right off the bat. I know there are some Big Ten games. We've already seen uh, Illinois beat Nebraska. Penn State, Wisconsin is going to be a really big game. But that's a key ACC Coastal game right here in week one. It's, it's, it's funny, BJ, because we've, we've long kind of debated back and forth about this, about, you know, week one games. And when you talk about leagues trying to raise their profile and you look at a league like the ACC, and I know TV wants matchups, but you very rarely see the SEC play a pretty significant league matchup in the first week, right? I mean, you don't see Florida LSU played week one. And why is that? Well, because so you don't have one of your teams out of the talking points in the very first week, right? I mean, Nebraska, if they were going to try to come back already week one, Illinois beats you. Illinois with Brett Bielema, who comes in, rookie, new head coach, beats you. Done. Wisconsin, Wisconsin and Penn State this weekend. I mean, if Penn State loses... Pretty much done for the national discussion and for national championship play. They got to beat Ohio State. Maybe they get back in it. But that's a week one gut punch to a Penn State or Wisconsin right out of the gate. Virginia Tech, North Carolina, week one matchup. What I mean, again, I know TV networks want these conference games early, but you don't see the SEC doing that. You don't see Georgia-Auburn until later. You don't see a lot of marquee matchups until late September, October at the earliest in the SEC, and a lot of the really big ones till later in the season. And what does that do? That helps prop you up the fact that you got eight top 10 teams, top 15 teams, because you haven't had any catastrophic losses uh, as of yet, where I think a lot of these conferences start out in the hole. Like Virginia Tech, North Carolina, that's two teams in the Atlantic that are trying to make hay as being a contender to Clemson. One of them is going to be 0-1 before the season even gets going good. Well, Kevin, think about this in the ACC. Theoretically, you could have Clemson lose to Georgia. You could have Miami lose to Alabama. You could have North Carolina lose to Virginia Tech. And you could have Florida State lose to Notre Dame. And if that happens right away, you're talking about the bigger programs, the higher-ranked programs in your league already having a loss. Yeah, and, and again, I'm, again, I'm not saying don't schedule these games. I like these games. I think sometimes when you step back and you look at the big picture and you say, well, the ACC is this and the ACC is that, I think the one year that the Big – was it the Big East – really put out a a run and people are like whoa man look at this or the big 12 that one it was like or maybe it was the biggies and you didn't see rutgers south florida all these teams and you say none of their big games are till like week 9 10 11 12 and they're all sitting there at 8 and 0 7 and 1 and people go man the big east is really good it's like no they haven't played each other yet and you're overvaluing what their record looks like. We'll come back another hour to go here on 3 and Out. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, will join us around 520 or so. We'll talk to him about the Eagles' opening game this weekend against Gardner-Webb and what the prospects are here for Georgia Southern in the early going of 2021. It's 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Final hour here of Three and Out. A lot to get to this hour. We'll hear from the voice of Georgia Southern, Danny Reed. He will join us. Uh, we'll look at the Eagles opener and what they're looking at here in the Sun Belt in 2021. Also, Jeb Blazevich, former University of Georgia Bulldog, will join us ahead of Georgia Clemson coming up uh, this weekend. But, BJ, you've got some action in Charlotte ahead of Georgia Clemson when you're talking Sun Belt, and that's App State, East Carolina. So a chance for the Sun Belt to make a statement on Thursday night. Uh, with an App State East Carolina before you get to some interesting matchups coming up on Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. It's a, a big opening weekend for the Sun Belt Conference with a lot of momentum stemming from last season, carrying over into this preseason with a couple of teams ranked in the preseason top 25 in Coastal Carolina and Louisiana and App State right there as well. Uh, you actually have Coastal uh, and Appalachian State playing separate games, but playing tomorrow night as Coastal Carolina will take on the Citadel. And then you mentioned App State and East Carolina in an in-state rivalry going to play in Charlotte a couple of days before Georgia and Clemson. And I think Appalachian State is one of those teams that maybe feels like they're being overlooked a little bit. Uh, when you talk about Louisiana being nationally ranked, Coastal Carolina being nationally ranked, a couple, uh, couple of teams there that you've seen even in the national top 20 in some of these preseason polls. But Appalachian State has Chase Bryson at quarterback, former Clemson quarterback, former Duke quarterback. They get Corey Sutton back at wide receiver, who's an all-Sun Belt-type playmaker. Uh, former South Georgia star Trey Cobb, one of their best players defensively. I think Appalachian State feels like they can be a top 25 team. They feel like they're in that upper echelon in the Sun Belt. They have the results to prove it. And a game against East Carolina, a neutral site game, that'll be a fun way to, to, uh, to uh, kick off the season. That tomorrow night on ESPNU. But Appalachian State definitely right up there as one of those teams. And I think, Kevin, this just goes to show the depth in the Sun Belt that you have an Appalachian State team that has basically been a lot for a bowl win the last half dozen years. They win nine, ten games every season. And if you go off kind of the national rankings, pundits seem to think maybe they're the third best team uh, in the Sun Belt Conference. That's a pretty good reflection of the league. And then you get into programs uh, even beyond those like, like Georgia State, like Georgia Southern, like Arkansas State, like Troy. There's really good depth in this league. And I think it's going to be a really uh, fun opening weekend. Yeah, Appalachian State with the extra time as well. If they get a dub, BJ, to prepare for Miami, who's got Alabama to deal with. So uh, could App State start off uh, 2-0 and with a couple of big wins for the Sun Belt uh, there out of conference? It's going to be interesting to watch them. They've always been a thorn in a number of people's side, and they've got a chance to do it right out of the jump here in 2021. Well, and, and yeah, you better be ready. I mean, I, I think when people looked at Miami's schedule to start the season, not only were they looking at, wow, you have Alabama right out of the right out of the gate, you have Michigan State there in a couple of weeks, but you also have Appalachian State immediately following that Alabama game. That's going to be a major test for the Hurricanes. And yes, App State's one of those teams out of the Sun Belt that can, that can play with anybody on their schedule. Yeah, we look at some of the other games uh, quickly through the, uh, the, the Sun Belt. Uh, Georgia State and Army getting it started. That would be a big win for Sean Elliott. As a lot of people have them, cause the is it fair to say the sleeper pick in the Sun Belt? I think a lot of people look at them and say, okay, were they beat North Carolina in week two? Probably not. But a lot of people really think this is a team to watch in the Sun Belt that might uh, be in contention there in the final weeks of the season to, uh, to to play for the Sun Belt championship. Yeah, it's a program that's been on the rise. You know, you've had some postseason success the last few years. And Georgia State and Army, two really good programs. Uh, of course, Jeff Munkin's done a remarkable job with Army. They've been in the national top 25. They've been one of the you know the top programs outside of the Power Five uh, the last few years in college football. 
And I, I actually saw Georgia State and Army play back in 2019 in Atlanta, and it was a fantastic game. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm so excited for this game Saturday because it was back and forth, a couple of turnovers late, kind of helped decide uh, who won Georgia State with, with Dan Ellington at quarterback playing with a serious knee injury, I think a, a torn ACL actually late in that game. Uh, they won 28-21. It was back and forth, drama, uh, two programs that I really feel like they belong on the national stage and have proved that, uh, proven that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to Georgia State Army, and yes, that's one of those games. If you can beat Army, that's another feather in the cap of the Sun Belt. That's one of those signature wins that you can point to when we all sit back and evaluate and try to rank some of these conferences. You could say, look, Georgia State played an Army program that is a national program that has been in the rankings, that has won in the postseason with Jeff Munkin. So that's a that's a big-time opportunity and a, uh, a rematch of a game they had in Atlanta a couple of years ago. And, BJ, before we get to kind of the headliner of the weekend, one that's, I think, kind of off the radar but quietly going to be a good football game and maybe a good judge of where the mid to lower half of the league could potentially be, and that's South Alabama's hosting Southern Miss on Saturday could quietly be a, a solid, very competitive football game. And that's a good point, because when you look at the Sun Belt, and this is just the way it is, it's no disrespect to the middle tier of the league, but, you know, a lot of the national pundits right now are saying, okay, Louisiana, okay, Coastal Carolina, maybe App State, then who? And like you got to, uh, like the point you made there, you, you look at the league, there is experience, talent, success, history, tradition, everywhere. I mean, Georgia Southern's got six national championships and has flexed on just about everybody they've played uh, at the FBS level. And further down, I think you look at South Alabama, and this is a program that maybe hasn't had a ton of uh, tradition compared to some of the other names in this league, but you bring in Kane Walmack as one of the youngest head coaches in the country, formerly the defensive coordinator at Indiana. You have SEC fans, remember this name? Jake Bentley in as your starting quarterback, who had 45 touchdown passes for South Carolina in a two-year span a couple of years ago. Went to Utah last year. It didn't necessarily work out, but I think he comes in, and yes, you know, once you get past Coastal, Louisiana, App, Georgia, uh, Georgia Southern, Arkansas State, you start to look around and go, okay, who's a team to watch in this league? and absolutely South Alabama is. If they can beat Southern Miss, a good Southern Miss program that has a lot of tradition itself, I think that's that's momentum that you need to keep an eye on from that program. I'm with you, Kevin. And they've got a first-year head coach in Kane Womack. And just uh, looking at it, BJ, with 200, I believe just less than 200 yards, uh, Jalen Tolbert going to become the all-time leading receiver there at South Alabama. So they got a uh, one of their all-time playmakers for Jake Bentley to uh, to throw the football to. Could be interesting there against Southern Miss on Saturday. And of course, BJ, one you've been talking about really the entirety of the offseason. They beat Iowa State uh, a season ago to open the season, beat them handily. Now they go to Texas in the opening week with a chance to make another statement after going 10-1 last year. Levi Lewis back at quarterback. Billy Napier, one of the best-respected coaches in college football. A lot of people are like, why is he still at Louisiana, uh, given all the success he's had there? Ten starters back on offense, ten starters back on defense. Is this a – you said it wouldn't be an upset, but nationally, is this another upset in the making uh, for Louisiana? It's a game to watch for sure, and I think it's one of the more fascinating games on the schedule here in week one, and Georgia Southern will get their chance against Louisiana coming up, but this is a program, you made the point, and we've talked about how uh, you know sometimes people don't fully appreciate the totality of the resume for, for a program at the G5 level. Louisiana beat Iowa State 
by 17 in Ames to open last season. That was in week one of last season. That's a Iowa State team that went on to win the Fiesta Bowl and finish, I think, sixth or seventh in the national polls. And and uh, this is a program that is that has gone toe to toe with some of the best teams in the country. Louisiana's one loss last season, Kevin, came to Coastal Carolina on a last second field goal at the end of the game. So if you can go out and beat Texas, I think that only adds to that resume. That's more validation. Now, uh, is it an upset? I guess it depends on your perspective. But I will say this. If you're Louisiana, you're not going to be able to sneak up on anybody. I think last year, maybe you were under the radar a little bit. Now, everybody around the country knows. Everybody knows this is a nationally ranked team as we see them in the polls. Levi Lewis is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. You are 100% correct. This team is physical. They run the football. They have a great offensive line. They play really good on special teams. Uh, former Georgia Bulldog Chauncey Manick is on the defense, one of the linebackers there on that squad. But this is a game to watch. And Louisiana, if they win this game, I mean, and move up a couple of spots in the polls, could you have an early Sunbelt team in the top 15, potentially? So keep an eye on the Raging Cajuns. Uh, but don't be surprised if this, if, if this game is close or if Louisiana wins the Steve Sarkeesian's debut there in Austin. Yeah, again, I think that's one that, as you said, BJ, with the Georgia-Clemson talk and others uh, out there, not a lot of folks talking about this game, but this could be one of those games come Saturday night, you're going, what in the world just happened there in Austin? And the Raging Cajuns did it again uh, at the end of uh, of the day. So one I'll definitely be checking out for sure come Saturday uh, between uh, Louisiana and the University of Texas. Just a quick look at the Sun Belt. Georgia Southern obviously opening up Gardner-Webb uh, this weekend before they play at FAU next week. We've got so much to get to here in the final hour of the program. We'll come back. Danny Reed will talk Georgia Southern football with us. Jeb Blazevich will join us. Former Georgia Bulldog will talk Georgia Clemson with him as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network streaming live ESPNCoastal.com. More three and out on ESPN Radio Coastal Georgia AM 790 and FM 103.5. Welcome back to 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network College Football opening up this weekend. And it's football once again inside Paulson Stadium as the Eagles host Gardner-Webb to get their season started. And uh, joining us here, the voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, Danny Reed, steps in here on 3 and Out. Danny, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. And the way you say that, it gets me even more excited just a couple of days from now. Hopefully it's going to look like it did a couple of years ago, but... We've been, been waiting for it for a while and can't wait to see it on Saturday night. Uh, certainly. Let's get right to probably the biggest question that uh, obviously Georgia Southern fans have been asking since Justin Tomlin was declared out. Who's going to be the, uh, the, the starting quarterback on Saturday? I know the depth chart says either or, but who do you think it's going to be to, to take the first snap? <laughs> uh, I'll know it around, uh, well, sometime after 6 o'clock on Saturday, I guess, because the, what they've been doing in practice, they've really rotated – all three guys pretty evenly, whether it's been Cam Ransom, whether it's been Sam Kenderson, whether it's been Amari Jones, all three of them have seen their share of reps with the various teams, whether it's the ones or the twos since they broke off into scouts. If I'm a betting man, I'm thinking that at least two of them are going to play. You might see all three, but this is definitely the most up in the air that quarterback has been at Georgia Southern in quite a while. And with Tomlin out for the first two games, it is a chance for a couple of guys to show what they can do and maybe work themselves into the rotation by the time we get to the Arkansas game. 
Danny, some talented options, uh, obviously, at the quarterback position. What are the expectations for whoever steps in the next couple of weeks? <laughs> Just run the offense. And thankfully, with Georgia Southern, most of the time you know it's going to be on the ground, even though they are trying to put a little bit more of an emphasis on tempo and maybe throwing it just a little bit more. But anybody that knows the culture of Georgia Southern, it's predominantly going to be that option scheme out of the gun, out of the pistol. And it can be a lot for a freshman, even though Sam Kennerson got some experience last year it was two snaps against georgia state that he banged up his shoulder and didn't play for the rest of the season whenever cam ransom plays it is his college debut and even though he is more of a prototypical pocket passer he does have decent speed he has really latched on to some of these option principles that i think will be just fine and even with Amari Jones, if he does happen to take some snaps at quarterback on Saturday, he gives you the element of not just a wild eagle guy, and I think a lot of people look at him as just being that change of pace, but somebody that did play quarterback in high school was a really good quarterback at Frisco Heritage down in Texas before a really bad leg injury during his senior year. He was somebody that was on the verge of setting some Texas state records, and we all know how hard that is to do. But having watched him in practice, he is adept at throwing the football. He has a really nice hold on how to run this system because he was part of it when he was at Tulane when Doug Bruce was the offensive coordinator there. Uh, Danny, I just before we move on to other parts, I want you to, to, to speak about Cam Ransom. Cam Ransom, it seems like a, a, a fan favorite there, but you, you look at what he could potentially bring to the table. He's, what, two, three inches taller than every other quarterback, and I'm just judging by the depth charts I've seen, outweighs them all by 25 to 30 pounds each. Kind of sounds like he could bring a dynamic they haven't really seen at the quarterback position in a while, especially if he's going to tuck it and run it every once in a while. Yeah, I'll go as far as to say he is the best pure passer that I have seen since I got here back in 2015 and even going back and watching some of the old games. He might be one of the best pure passers that's ever come through here. Now, granted, we need to see him live first, but watching the ball out of his hand in practice, it just has it has a speed and a spin that you don't expect for an offense that's running the ball 45 to 50 times per game. It's impressive how they got him here because he had offers from Virginia Tech and Boston College. He was rumored to maybe be going to South Florida and Central Florida considering that he's an Armwood guy from the western part of Florida. And he didn't get a chance to visit campus because of COVID. He didn't get here until the summer. And since he has, he's pulled out about 20 pounds. He doesn't look like a freshman. He looks like he's already been here for a couple of years. And he looks like somebody that's been running the option for just a little bit more than a couple of weeks. He was the rave the first couple of days of camp, and some days he looked like he might be the best guy on the field. Now, how it translates when the lights come on, whenever he steps on the field, I sure hope it's on Saturday against Gardner-Webb, but we just have to see what the plan is for that offense and when they decide to take the handcuffs off of him and let him roll. Uh, Danny, now healthy, how big of a season could it be for uh, J.D. King? It, that depends because last year he was doing so, so well, and then he had the unfortunate ACL injury against Troy. He was trying to make a jump cut to the right late in the second quarter, and it just gave out, and we kind of knew right away what the deal was. And then he came back out of the crutches with the wrap on, and it was, it, was, it was just unfortunate for him because he was leading the league in rushing, and three weeks later he was still leading the league in rushing. I think that he would have had one of the better seasons for an Eagle running back not named Matt Breida in quite some time. 
they look to him as just as much of a vocal guy and a leader in that room as they do him carrying the ball 15 to 20 times per game. But even when he went out last year, Logan Wright got a lot more experience. Gerald Green got a lot more experience. And everybody wants to see what Jalen White can do if he gets the ball more than just a couple of times per game. Now, it's going to be funneled through J.D. undoubtedly, but that is a deep room. It always seems to be a deep room. But I think that this may be the most dynamic it has been in a couple of years. And obviously one of the important keys uh, to this offense is the guys up front and seemingly uh, – Everybody coming back and still guys with uh, a lot of eligibility time uh, there up front with uh, some of the guys you have, seniors, juniors, uh, sophomores uh, along that front. How good is this offensive line do you think going to be coming back here into uh, to 2021 with those extra years of eligibility? Even though you take away Drew Wilson at right tackle, somebody that was a three-year starter, you've got two other guys that split reps at left tackle. Brian Miller and Caleb Kelly were about 50-50 starting games, so really you can say they do have five starters back up front, and now with Miller taking over full-time at left and moving Caleb Kelly over to the right. On the flip side of that coin, like we were talking about earlier, where quarterback is kind of up in the air, offensive line-wise, this is the best that this unit has been situation-wise going into a season than maybe 2014 or 2015 when the team was still new to the Sun Belt and you know how well 2014 went winning the conference championship in year one and then 15 winning nine more games and a go-daddy bowl victory. I like the fact that they seem to mess well together, especially when you consider a guy in Aaron Dowdell started every game at left guard last year, preseason all-conference guy. I think he's the meanest up front, and I think that even though Brian Miller may be the vocal guy, Dowdell is the lead-by-example guy, and I think that O-line is going to go as he goes. Derek Canteen is a freshman on defense, of course, tied for the national lead in interceptions with six, had a couple against Troy. What do you expect to see from him in year two, and how good can this secondary be? Well, people found out who he was pretty quickly last year when he made his debut against Campbell, and then he had multiple really good performances he had the pick on national tv against coastal he had two more picks against troy had another in the bowl game which ended up tying the school record coach lunsford oftentimes compares him to kendall vildor and there are a lot of similarities between the two just how hard they work and how technically sound they are kendall might be a skosh taller but canteen goes about his business just the way that Kendall did, and he just burst onto the scene, became an All-American, and now there's a good chance he's going to start for the Chicago Bears here in about a week's time. The rest of the secondary, though, the way they ended the season, that's what they have going into 21. The other corner is a sixth-year guy in Daryl Baker who made Bruce Feldman's freak list. He has gotten onto some NFL boards and is on the Senior Bowl watch list that was just put out. And then safety-wise, Anthony Wilson is somebody that took hold of a starting position early last year and didn't give it up. And Justin Birdsong, who's battled injury for really three years but finally got healthy, finally got his chance, and he had three picks the final three games of the season. I like that group a lot. There is some question about the depth just because there's so much youth behind them, but there's a lot of talent in the back end, and I really like those four that are going to be starting on Saturday. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles, joining us here on 3 and Out. And Danny, you look at preseason, a lot of uh, publications, for whatever they're worth, have Georgia Southern picked down towards the bottom of the East. Why do you think that is uh, from a team that's coming off an eight and five season? Uh, three of their five losses were a touchdown or less, and I think they had one loss by eight. Uh, why? Why do you think uh, so many folks are kind of questioning the Eagles? Is that more on them or more on uh, who else is also in the East? There, 
the East is stacked. That's what it comes down to. When you've got a coastal team that a lot of people weren't expecting to do what they did last year. In fact, outside of Conway, I don't know if anybody expected them to be 11-0 going into their bowl game against Liberty, and they have almost everybody back, including the Offensive Player of the Year in Grayson McCall. App State is just been a locomotive for the last six years winning bowl games and if they make nine wins just seem routine even though last year they looked at that as a step back but they've got almost everybody back on their defense they bring back Corey Sutton in the wide receiver room and that's somebody that opted out of last season and then the other two squads you can make a case that Troy and Georgia State could both win the division you could make a case for Georgia Southern to win the division but if there's anything that I've found out about this culture they're at their best when nobody expects anything And that's weird for a team that has six national championships and 11 conference titles in its history. But so often it's when they don't expect Georgia Southern to be good. The Eagles take that natural motivation and just say, oh, watch this. Just like 2014, first year in the Sun Belt, Eagles were picked last, and they end up going 8-0 winning the conference. I know that's seven years ago, but that's the kind of mentality that they recruit, and that's the kind of mentality that's necessary to succeed down here. Danny, wanted to ask you about this schedule to that end. Obviously, Gardner-Webb uh, coming up this weekend, but at FAU, at Arkansas, Louisiana, uh, obviously Coastal Carolina, BYU, at App State. A challenging schedule, but one that clearly comes with some national opportunities, right? Yeah, there's a chance you're going to see three top 25 teams come to Paulson Stadium this year. Hadn't had any more than one, and that was only once back in 2018 when Georgia Southern knocked off App, who became a top 25 team for the first time ever. Yeah, early on, we, we now trained ourselves where you don't just look at an FCS opponent like a Gardner-Webb and say, okay, that's a cakewalk, because Campbell came down here to open last year. Georgia Southern didn't have 33 guys. They were down 14 points late in the third quarter did rally back to win by one so don't think that the Eagles are looking past this running Bulldog team to FAU next week but FAU they've got almost everybody back that's another benefit I guess of having the COVID waiver year but they should be really good on defense they were one of the best in the country last year they're trying to get their offense in gear and the home schedule it's probably the best ever with Coastal, Louisiana, Arc State, BYU coming in November and then you've got a trip to Appalachian State in Boone which I'm sure will be nice and warm by the time we get up there on Thanksgiving Saturday. Yeah, we'll need the Lairs and hopefully that'll be for the East Division Championship if things shake out the way that the Eagles want them to this year. Danny Reed, voice of the Eagles, joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. And, uh, Danny, Raymond Johnson making the Giants, uh, continuing that run of uh, Georgia Southern Eagles, making it into the National Football League. I know you guys spend a lot of time around uh, the program. How excited are you for that guy to, uh, to be on an NFL roster? So awesome for him. That gives the Eagles six guys that are going to make 53-man rosters and begin the season. And somebody that grew up a Giants fan, he wore 92 here because he couldn't get 91 because he idolized Justin Tuck growing up, and he got 92. So, oh, I'll just take Michael Strahan's number. But for a guy from Sumter, South Carolina, who came here about 225 pounds, he left about 270, became just as good at defending the run as he did the pass. He was the number two guy all of preseason behind Leonard Williams, played really, really well. That's something that he has earned his entire life, and I cannot wait to see what he does as a pro because everything that he is being billed as, he was in Statesboro, and now everybody gets to see it. Danny Reed, our guest here on 3 and Out. And then, Danny, finally, Georgia Southern, expected to be uh, full capacity, tailgating the whole works. So how excited are you for a semblance of a normal Saturday in Statesboro coming up this weekend? That's probably the most important part if you talk to a lot of Eagle fans with the parking lot hopefully full with 
the stadium hopefully having somewhere near 20,000 people. We still want people to be responsible and safe so we can have a full season just like we did last year. But that atmosphere, that energy, what Coach Lunsford calls the power of Paulson, we could feel it a little bit last year with the people that there were there. But let's be honest, it was 6,000 people. You get it up to 20,000, you ramp it up that much more, and you can say, okay, that's Paulson Stadium. That's Georgia Southern football. And Georgia Southern Gardner-Webb starting it off this Saturday night there in Statesboro. Danny, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Georgia Southern Gardner-Webb this weekend getting the college football season started right there for the Eagles. We'll come back with more 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Radio Network Georgia and Clemson coming up this weekend. A lot of folks getting ready and excited for that one. Our next guest, former tight end there for the University of Georgia. Knows what it's like to play in uh, big games. Jeb Blazevitz joining us here on 3 and Out. Jeb, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Excited to talk some football. Hey, absolutely. Appreciate you coming on. And this one right out of the gate for Georgia. It's Clemson. It's uh, it's a rivalry game. I know the fans, even if this wasn't a top five matchup, this would be one of the best games uh, you see on the weekend. But this is potential playoff seeding, potential playoff posturing right here from the opening kickoff. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great game. I mean, this is the one that Georgia fans have been talking about since forever. And, and my brother went to Clemson. They're equally as fired up. Um, well, I mean, it, we live too close to one another, Georgia and Clemson, not to get excited about this. There's so many crosstown rivalries. Uh, this is probably going to be one of the most exciting regular season games of the year. They went to Clemson. So uh, what is this week, the next three days, like in the Blazevich household? Do you just not talk to each other, stay away from me? Like, what is that like? And what happens to the guy that loses? Is it a 24-hour cooling off period? How does that work? So we're, we're actually Greenville. He's nice enough to host us Saturday night. We'll see if we can sleep there. Um, but it, it's just a lot of staying quiet. You know, we're trying to be good to talk about it because it quickly gets hostile in the Blazevich household. Uh, the, the, the claws come out from both of us. So we're just we're being friendly, and uh, we're going to make it through, and we're going to pick each other up, uh, you know, regardless who wins. But uh, the dogs are going to come out on top on this one. Jeb, what's the preparation been like, you think? Uh, obviously fall camp, but knowing that you have a top-five opponent coming up in week one, do you think fall camp was a little bit different for the dogs? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, Coach Smart is always stressing a sense of urgency, right? The, the guys know how important camp is, that the level of competition at Georgia is going to bring out, um, you know, the best of, of each player every single day. At least that's what's being preached. Um, but you throw Clemson in the mix week one, and uh, you can't help but practice what you preach. You, you can't help but know that every single rep matters, every single practice matters, and coming together as a team, um, it's just going to happen a lot more naturally uh, when you're thrown into the mix of adversity week one. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of teams this coming weekend, they're not really thrown into a bunch of adversity. Now there's going to be some sleepers, but this is one that you can't afford to be iron on second and third gear you need to be coming out of the gate swinging jeb obviously jt daniels came in uh last year played in four games he's had the full off season now how comfortable do you think he is with his receivers at this point uh through spring now through fall camp getting ready for the opener well from my understanding he's just been an amazing leader in the locker room uh, i think it's definitely somebody that they can rally around um I mean, you see what he's doing with his NIL deals. Um, I, I, I think it's just who he is. He's a natural leader. He's been in that position 
um, on the field and, you know, doing the actual work. He's been building the chemistry. Um, so I, I think that's really one of the reasons that George is going to win, just his experience um, and him stepping up as a leader. Um, I, I think that's going to bring him over the edge. What are your expectations for Georgia offensively, where there are playmakers everywhere, running back, uh, some veterans back along the offensive line? What type of offense do you think we'll see out of the dogs? Extremely diverse. I think they're going to really have to play the, the ground and pound game mixed with and RPA really well. Um, I'm run away with be able to ground and pound more than anything, I believe. Uh, but the timing of the plays and really how you set things up is going to be crucial for them. In my, uh, you can't just stick with your run. You stick with a couple shots downfield. I think it's really going to become a plays to work their way down the field and set themselves up for those explosive plays. And again, I know BJ and I have talked about this, Jeff. It seems like Georgia is has been best when they stick to a that consistent ground game. They've had uh, certainly the guys back there to do it consistently, carrying the football. How much, in your estimation, I know as a, as a receiver, you want a guy, you want the ball thrown out there a bunch. How how important is that though to set everything up? Uh, in the passing game, that those guys come out and have a big day. Yeah, you yeah, you hit the the foundation. If you can't run the ball, it's going to work. Go in there and and get the ball on the ground and move the ball and and honestly, just bigger and more physical than Clemson. Um, that is the only thing that's going to open up the passing game. It, it doesn't work the opposite. You need to win the line of scrimmage before you can win any battle. How do you how do you approach preparation on game day if you're Kirby Smart? Because it's such a big game. How do you keep the team focused, embrace the moment, embrace the spotlight, but also make sure you're not putting too much of an emphasis uh, on a game that everybody's been talking about all year? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's the latter. Um, I think the guys are going to be really jacked up. Um, freshmen that we're going to expect to see um, out there, I think you need to get them calmed down and quiet and really just say, hey, we've been doing the scrimmages, we've been doing the practices, I mean, you've been practicing against the same level of talent all year round. So it's, it's less about, hey, we need to get up and get excited. And I think it's more about we need to calm down and do what we do best. Because at the end of the day, you come out emotional, that flies away after the first hit. And then it's just staying in a rhythm of preparation. Jeb Blazevitz, former Georgia tight end, joining us here on 3 and Out. And Jeb, you got Georgia, you got Clemson. Playing in North Carolina, I believe you're from the the Charlotte area. Does that seem weird, or it's like how do you think that environment's going to uh, to play out? Where you got Georgia and uh, a school from South Carolina playing in North Carolina? Yeah, I think it's an interesting. You uh, playing at NFL stadiums is always a lot more fun. Uh, it's a lot nicer too. Um, I think it'll be a good wrinkle in there. I think it's a lot to throw at folks, but um, at the end of the day, it's you're playing a team you rarely play in a place. Uh, add to the distraction but if there's one thing I know from both those coaches that they're going to make this as similar to a road game as they can make it um, and so I'm, I'm excited to see in Charlotte my backyard could, couldn't make it up there for the game uh, but see the venue what are the keys to victory for Georgia in your mind? I know we've talked about JT Daniels, the running backs, but you're playing a team that has been one of the modern-day dynasties right alongside Alabama. What must Georgia do Saturday night to beat Clemson? 
I think first and foremost, it's got to start from the top down. Um, I, 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 they're going to have to switch up the strategy, and you can't just be against Clemson. I think you need to half and then throw in a big wrinkle at halftime because they're extremely good at figuring out your tendencies in the first half. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I know we preach about this all the time as SEC fans, um, it's going to come down to being bigger, badder dudes. Uh, I think that they're as physical as us. I think that halfway into the season, um, it would be a lot easier to catch them off guard in terms of the physicality, but uh, they've been preparing for this just like the bowl game, just like we've seen them show up and, and compete at the highest level and win the biggest games. I think they're going to be ready for the physicality. Uh, to come down to are they ready all four quarters. So be able to throw the wrinkles and just be bigger and badder dude. how you win this game. Jeb Blazevich, our guest here on a 3 and Out. Jeb, really appreciate the time. Enjoy the game Saturday. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Jeb Blazevich joining us here on a 3 and Out, a former Georgia tight end, BJ. And, uh, again, a guy who said I think he summed it up there uh, nicely at the end. It's like, who wants to be the bigger, badder dudes out there on the field? And that's kind of the moxie the SEC carries with itself. But I think you see it in certain programs like Clemson. We, we talked earlier in the week uh, with, with Rennie Moore about that. We – who says, hey, we think we're the bigger, badder dudes uh, in this in this matchup. So I think a lot of that that confidence, that uh, that swagger that some of these programs carry is going to play a big factor. Well, so much of this game is going to come down to physicality, right? I mean, you think about the matchup that everybody's been talking about, Georgia's offensive line against Clemson's defensive line. That's where it's all going to start. And, and Clemson's defensive line, you got a couple of All-Americans. You have the track record of, of sacks and tackles for loss every year. Uh, the pressure is really going to be on Georgia's offensive front, but it's a good group. I know there are, you know, some questions about uh, Warren Erickson and his health, but I think, you know, Warren McClendon, Justin Schaefer, Jamari Sawyer, these are really, really good players, and I think they should be confident going into this game. And then on the other side, I think Georgia's got to try to set the tone in the middle of their defense with Jordan Davis. You know, Clemson has some relative questions along the offensive line, and I think Jordan Davis can set the tone draw attention to the middle of the defense, and if that happens, then Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson are coming off the edge and pressuring DJ Uyunglele, and and I think that's the key. So it is amazing that, Kevin, we're always going to talk about the quarterbacks, and the, and there are two great quarterbacks in JT Daniels and uh, DJ Uyunglele, and the playmakers, we know about the playmakers, but I think this game is going to be won at the line of scrimmage, and I think it was Christian maybe a couple of weeks ago who said when he watches football, that's what he watches. You know, a lot of people follow the ball or – whatnot he watches the line of scrimmage and I think that's where you need to watch this game NFL players on both sides of the lines uh, guys that are all American good this game's going to come down to the trenches and who can win there it could and I think we're kind of and again we've talked a lot about offense and I think that's going to be the key uh, when you talk about the two quarterbacks obviously the offensive lines for both teams seems like we haven't talked a lot about these teams defensively both of whom are obviously still very very good that's Kirby's bread and butter for crying out loud and it seems like we haven't talked as much about these two teams defensively as much as we had uh, offensively and what people think they're going to be able to do when they have the ball in their hands well and I think the key there is are are you defensively Clemson or Georgia responding to your opponent and what they do are they dictating the tempo or are you kind of forcing the issue on your opponent? And and I think that's key. If you're Georgia, you got to be aggressive. You got to attack DJ Uyunglele, playmakers there. You know, Justin Ross is obviously going to be a focal point in the passing game, but I think you have to pressure Clemson. You have to put the pressure 
on Clemson's offensive line. And again, Adam Anderson, Nolan Smith, uh, the defensive line in a 3-4 scheme, I think these guys are as good as it gets, and they can draw attention, double teams at the line of scrimmage, but you're going to need those linebackers to come you know, to come off the edge. And you don't even have to get sacks. I think sometimes we, we, we overstress the importance of sacks. Yes, they matter. A second and long, a third and long is very difficult. But if you're disrupting the timing of an opposing offense, if you're forcing Uyangalale to – you know, move out of the pocket. I think that's a big key for Georgia. And again, a couple more days, and it will be upon us here from Charlotte. Appreciate Jeb Blazevich joining us here. This is 3 and Out on this Wednesday all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We are streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. Love to hear from you on Twitter as well, at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio. This one, tough loss last night. Probably didn't score enough runs to help yourself out. Going to need some offense tonight, but important, I think, to take one of these three games uh, going to Dodger Stadium. I, I agree with you. And when you look at last night, disappointing to to lose the game uh, out of the bullpen, but Luke Jackson and Tyler Matzik have been elite this season, especially recently. They weren't going to be perfect all year. Gave up a couple of hits, and uh, you lose it late. And that's disappointing. But I think you still have trust in those guys moving forward. And it is an elite pitching matchup tonight. When you think about – what Max Fried has done over the last month, month and a half. He's 11 and 7, and it's gotten his ERA down to 3.54. And then Max Scherzer, 12 and 4, with a 2.51 ERA. So two absolute stars going at it tonight. I, I don't think you're, you're overwhelmingly worried with the division standings right now. You're still up two and a half. You knew that the Phillies were going to bounce back after being swept by Arizona, and they're playing great baseball. But when you look at the schedule coming up, Kevin, games that are absolutely winnable, teams that you're better than, but I agree with you. Get the win tonight. Have some momentum. You take one from uh, L.A. I think that's something that's okay. And uh, move forward knowing that you still have a multi-game lead in the division. Yep, and it appears Ozzie Albee's going to be okay. Uh, took a foul ball off the knee. MRI was negative, so that looks good. And I know at this stage of the year, people start saying, well, this is a playoff preview. I, well, if it is, I think the Braves, once again, hung with the Dodgers. Uh, pitching got you one game. Not enough offense, really, last night. I, BJ, you score two runs against the Dodgers. That's not going to win in the regular season most times or in the postseason when you're playing L.A. Yeah, and that's the margin for error against the Dodgers. They're they're probably the best team in baseball talent-wise, and one run can be the difference. A couple of swings can be the difference. But Max Fried's been great. He is absolutely on a tear right now. Uh, he's gotten that ERA down in the 3-5 range. So let him set the tone tonight. I think you'd like to see a few more hits back-to-back-to-back. The home runs are great, but see if you can uh, uh, compile some hits together. If you can do that, a great chance to win late tonight if you can stay up and listen to it. Yeah, it seems like the uh, the Braves traditionally, at least when he was in D.C., always fared okay against Max Scherzer. I mean, as, as I guess for whatever okay is for Max Scherzer, but it seemed like they seemingly did all right against Max Scherzer or at least able to work and get him out of the ball game and, and work against a bullpen. And I think that's the key. Be patient. Don't chase bad pitches. Uh, if he runs his pitch count up early, that's something that's good. If you can get into that bullpen in the fifth inning. So be patient tonight and take advantage of the pitches that are out over the plate. I appreciate Danny Reed joining us here in the final hour of the program. Also, Jeb Blazevich, uh, former George Bulldog, joining us talking Georgia Clemson. Just a couple more days to go, and it's game day for Dogs and the Tigers. We will see you tomorrow, a Thursday edition of 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Streaming at ESPNCoastal.com. Look around. Business today is just not the same. Saving a box.